Hello and welcome to this currently unnamed podcast, but because you're listening to it, it will probably have a name. Uh, I am Victoria. Oh, and uh, with me I'm, is Mary. Hi, <laughs> I'm Mary. Hey, hi, I'm Maryville. Uh, people usually call me Mary. And uh, we are here to talk about the best games in 2022. That's what this podcast is. Technically, uh, yeah, from two people that definitely play every single game that came out <laughs> last year. Uh, that's what we do. We are quite modern gamers. No, we um, we just kind of play whatever. And this is a podcast that's more an excuse to let us talk about the things we consume, and not just games. I'm I'm way less of a gaming person than Mary is, but uh, uh, um, I. I, I play way less games than I, than I used to, like, ten years ago, but, yeah. <laughs> and I play uh, less games than that. Uh, <laughs> uh, and, yeah, this is an excuse for us to talk about these things, and, you know, we, we have some ideas for things we want to do with this project, uh, but that'll come later. Yeah, hey, we, hey. Had, we had, like, the idea to do something like this for, like, years, I think, now. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, we just we never just figured... did because, um, you know, like living space. Uh, I just got a mic like last week. <laughs> um, it's but also hard feel... when you don't have the perfect idea. It's easy to just punt it further. Yes. Um, and I'm very much the kind of person to not commit to doing something <laughs> like this. <laughs> but now we're doing it. Now we're doing uh, it. But also... Um, the two of us like have did a lot of conversations that I think I don't think insightful is the right word. I think it's interesting. I, yeah, I'm I'm glad you didn't say insightful because I don't feel I feel like when it comes to analysis, there is a lot for us to learn. But we have the way that we have our conversations, we lead to having interesting like little bits of those conver- conversations and explanations for why we like things or not. Um, stuff that we don't see around very often. Honestly, if I'm completely honest, I will be able to be more uh, succinct and just, like, clear and will be able to work things better if I was reading, writing this and putting it into, like, an, like an article or something, or, like, co yeah, then you don't. Then you but, don't get a, uh, a conversation. Yeah, and also I can't do it. <laughs> uh, I can't get the motivation to do that. But when I talk with you, like it all comes out, and it may be like disorder, but it's out, you know. Yeah, that's that's to me that's like the importance of conversation. Um, you know, when we were watching things, when I was when I was there with you last, uh, you know, we would just like watch something or play something and have hours of conversation after that. And, those conversations really helped us form our thoughts on the thing and because it was a conversation rather than just doing in your own thoughts uh and so for this first episode it's going to be like a top five games of the year of what we played that came out last year (laughs) have to put that asterisk on um and kind of just talk through it so who should start for uh, our top five? Because if I start, let's see, five, five, four, four, three. If I start, you're going to go last. Well, I'm good with my number one going last, if you are if you want to not do that. That's fine. 
That's fine by me. If you can go last, I'll, I'll, I'll start here with my number five. There's not much to say about this one. It's a good one, um, but it is Card Shark, uh, which is that like little card game. Oh yeah, yeah. I saw I saw you play while while you were here. Yes, um, it was. It's you know I don't actually have details about these games that I've got listed up here, but it is a little a little short game about uh, cheating at cards with this like nice little paper style. Uh, it's you know takes place in old France, and you learn to cheat at cards, and the different types of cheating at cards that happened throughout, like, history, um, and, like, there's lots of mechanics that kind of, like, stack on one another, and you have to keep in mind, and, uh, I, I really enjoyed my time with it. I didn't finish it, um, but I think that, like, having it here on this list, like, means something about the types of games that Card Shark is, and I feel like it's important to say that here, right? Like, some of my other ones, like, later are, like, just bangers, um, and Card Shark, like, you know, a game doesn't have to be, you know, this deep drama to be, uh, to be on, like, some of the best games here. It's, uh, yeah, like, a very no. good little mechanical puzzle of a game. I, I don't think it's just, like, a... Like a huge narrative or anything, but I feel like it's trying to do something, like very focused. Um, it's like it's like a period piece that is also focused on like like the way they get by. It's like they cheat at card games. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, and so it feels like really really neat that the gameplay is you're cheating at the card games and you're learning learning how to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know you had something to say about it. That could be considered like a criticism of it. Uh, I mean, yeah, I, uh, I, it's more like what I thought the game was when I came into it, which was like I thought that it would be giving me card games to play and then use my own cheats rather than like kind of the more straightforward game. It kind of gets like that later, that uh, but it takes quite a while. But even still, like they're puzzles, right? That's what they are. They're not. Yeah. They're not like card scripted card games that i'm playing with random cards they're they're puzzles and you have to figure out the right way to cheat with what's in front of you and like once i thought figured that out i was like oh oh everything kind of like clicks in place about this game yeah Um, when i was watching you play there was one thing that that stuck out to me um uh like when it came to like covering how to cheat in card games uh i feel like it was missing the like metagamey aspect of like oh sometimes you have to pretend you're losing so the other side doesn't think you're cheating but like from what i saw the game never never brings that up if you oh, fail it, it, uh, it does um oh it does there's like a yeah i mean it, it's it's less like you have to again it's a it's a puzzle game more than it is like this actual card game and so how it abstracts that out is like they grow more suspicious the higher you bet and the more you win and uh they grow more suspicious after like consecutive wins so like there are times where you have to like bet a little lower and then you know not cheat and then you know they're back to being regular um but it, in the tutorial quote-unquote goes on for a bit long um because it has to teach you like a million mechanics <laughs> um and i think that those mechanics like really work well together obviously that's what the entire game is um but also one more thing about card shark that i liked was like i don't know I, i'm not a history buff like at all um but it seemed more like aware of you know it's a comedy game but um 
like it seemed more aware of mm-hmm. uh, very specifically like early on you learn like three card Monty from some uh, some Romani travelers that are coming through and like it's not shitty about it and they're like yeah we kind of like have to go around and be on the outskirts and play games in order to make money and then we get kicked out and um you know i'm no history buff but it certainly did better than some other games about this archetype which seems to have popped up a lot this year for some reason yeah uh so that's my number five for card shark uh this is a good, like, little mechanical puzzle game. And you? Uh, so, um, I have a difficulty making this list. Um, mostly because when I think about top tens or, like, top fives, uh, I think there are more games in contention than five games, which are, like, the total of number of games I played this year. Hey, I'll be, like, super real with you and our audience. I picked top five when I pitch this to you because i played like seven games that came out this year and one of them was a remake <laughs> no i know but like i watch people make like top tens and top fives so, like they seem like they seem like lists that people will make but these are <laughs> those are no lists i would make but i feel wrong in like putting this stuff forward this way because i know it's like i know it's very me to do this but i don't know it's, it's very disordered and it's just gonna come out the way it comes out all right, so what's your number five that isn't number five, but will be in the number five slot for this podcast? Um, okay, I, I have it, I have it. Uh, my number five is um, Neon White. Oh, hell yeah. Uh, this is a game that I just started playing, like, what, week and a half ago? Uh, which, like, I know it's a very short game, because you just go through it. Like, hold on, let, first let me explain what Neon White is. Uh, Neon White is a level-based game, a speedrunning level-based game where you... It's a, it's a first person and you're meant to kill the enemies as fast as possible and get through the level as fast as possible. And specifically, the enemies are less of like... You know, it's not like a shooter, right? Like, these, these enemies are placed in this place that, like, you have to figure out how to kill them in the fastest way because, really, you don't want to kill them, you just want to reach the end, but you have to to end the level. Uh, yeah, like the game has like aim assist because they know people that don't play <laughs> first person shooters are gonna be playing this game. And like thank God because there are some levels that you have to be like yeah. really precise and I'm glad that I can just shoot in that direction and it just works. For an example, right, you can pick up this card. They're not it's not like a card game, but you pick up this card and what you do is that if you uh right click uh, it is, oh, sorry, if you left-click, it's just like a pistol that you shoot, and if you right-click, you, like, it helps you do this bigger jump, and you can use it in air. Yeah, yeah, each weapon has, like, a, like, a side movement, um, like, skill, like, the gun, like, the handgun is just a double jump, uh, the assault rifle is a bomb, which also helps you, like, jump, uh, like, you can time the, the bomb to, like, raise you up, um, there's like a sniper rifle, yes. which is like a dash Now that's the one that you have to do lots of precision across map shots to get the best time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There, there's a level. There's a level where they show you the um, uh, which mm. you have to touch to finish the level. Like they show you, they show you it right away. And I was wondering how you get to that, and I tried like a bunch with that specific power up. 
but that's when I noticed that you can't move up, it moves only horizontally yeah. the, the direction <laughs> you're looking, and it's very annoying, but um, but there's more weapons after that, and there's like a lot of movement, uh, and yeah, there's more weapons that keep appearing as you like, think of like a Mario level, there's like one, 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 two, uh, once, once you're in World 2, you can introduce a new weapon, and then when you're in World 3, you get introduce a new weapon, so it has, has like that uh, that game design mm -hmm. philosophy that like Mario has. Um, so it's very... I, I I mean, I play games a lot, so that memorizing like new stuff wasn't like a problem to me. I don't know if it was for other people. I guess I will assume not. Um, Especially since the levels are like designed so that you get like an understanding of the breadth of what the thing can do. Yes, but also even though this game is short and like learning, like getting a, a PB, a personal best in each mm -hmm. level is nothing that takes a lot of time. Uh, I was playing against you. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we're the only two of our friends who have this game. So there's like the a friends leaderboard next to the global leaderboard and we're the only two on it. Yeah, so if you play this game, like make sure you have a, you have a friend that maybe will be as interested in this game as you are and race each other because it's very fun. Because like, this I like this game has like bronze, silver, gold, platinum like medals, but passing platinum is like very easy. Um and it's basically what you have to do. I mean you have to only get through gold, but getting through platinum is also very easy. But when I was racing you, it was like <laughs> yes. really down the wire. Like I was trying to shake <laughs> yes. microseconds trying to beat you. And it was, and it was. There's, there's a couple levels that I felt so good doing, and I'm like, and I look at the time like two days later after I see that you were playing, and I, I just like pray that my times weren't beaten. There were, there were a couple that were, but the ones that I'm really proud of still were not, and I feel so good about those. Yeah, I like also the reason this game is number five and no higher is because they haven't finished yet. Uh, I really could have finished it like today or like yesterday. Yeah, I just haven't done it yet. But I, I really like it because I really like because the game story. I seen a lot of people bashing it because it's very anime. Y yeah, it's it's straight up cowboy bebop. I guess. Uh... I can't. If you look at white, that is just somebody going, "Man, I really like Spike Spiegel." <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But I I don't know. I there there are certain things for sure that I would like. Uh, oh, the game will afford to tell me less. <laughs> That's my complaint about the story. Uh, there's there's times where the game tells you maybe a little bit too much that I would like to guess by myself. But like other than that, I like it. like the premise is that you're you're somebody that died like shortly before the game is, started. Is that true? They they mention in the opening, White, I haven't seen you do the neon race before. Oh. Then okay, let's just assume that these people died. I mean, yeah. they never bring it up. So I, I... I just found that interesting because I felt like like White he became well. You continue because I think you'll probably end up touch it. Let me yeah let let me yeah. let me explain the story first and then we can discuss. <laughs> um, you're like a dead person that is in hell, uh, but you were brought into heaven uh, for like a like a program, <laughs> an outsourcing program. <laughs> Yeah, Evan needs some new interns. It's like like a, for a, like a battle royale, but for like in, like a different sort of battle royale. 
Um, yeah, they have you kill demons to get points, yeah. but that isn't even what the like gameplay is. Yeah, so. and, and you get invited to heaven, which like a banner for other people that were in hell, uh, and you get put, and because they want you to kill demons, and so all of these people are good at killing, obviously. Well, no, not really. There are some that were that are like, oh, I'm just I just watched the account and for a bad person, I don't know why I'm here. Um, so I guess they just pick random people up. But they also put this mask on you, like, uh, sorry, they, they're called Neons, every single Neon, which are the candidates that are brought from hell. Uh, every Neon has a mask, which is like, yes. a, has a bomb. If you it, take... Which like, if you, you do something they don't want, if you do something they don't want you to do, they blow you up and send you to hell. And when and you play the game, so the game just starts, uh, is that right? You just start in the level, or is it like... Yeah, yeah. So the, the opening cutscene is, this is actually what I wanted to bring up, was the opening cutscene is Neon White, which is the main character, um, who is just like this late 20-something with the most tired eyes. <laughs> uh, yes. Who... Um, who goes like, if I could do it all again, you know, I would, I, I, I'd try to get into heaven. Um, I just, I just feel like I never got the proper shot. And then he wakes up with a gun in his hand or a sword in his hand. Sorry. That's his, his thing. And, uh, starts killing some demons and he doesn't know what's going on. Yeah. Well, what the end user heaven explained is that all these neons were brought to kill demons and whoever kills the most demons or like gets the highest rank, gets the privilege of being in heaven for a year, basically. Yes, until the next neon race, next year, which is, they do the same. Yes, and you're neon white, you do the first level, which is a tutorial, and after you do that tutorial, you get uh, presented to the other characters, there, which I don't actually remember who shows up first. But yellow. The... Oh, yeah. yellow, yeah. And, oh, the protagonist has amnesia, by the way, um, because when you meet these other characters, yeah. uh, they bring up that they... They're your bodies. Uh, when you were alive, they used... Ye yellow's your yeah. bro. Yellow's your bro. Um, neon Violet, which he, who is like... So basically, what if the Joker was a woman? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which, like, I actually don't like this kind of characters in, like, media, but here I'm just like, oh, this is just, like, a fun game. I don't care. Uh, she's cool. Uh, they're, like, very much... Like, they're very much going for the girl who collects knives and... Cast likes people on Tumblr, um, kind of person. <laughs> <laughs> oh, ne Neon Violet has sent the worst death threats, the most rancid yes. death threats to people. Um, like I mean, like they really play into it because there's like one cutscene where they're like, "Oh wait, yeah, let's go, um, like pick me, pick me," and you like mm -hmm. why doesn't want to do it because like Yellow is also asking, and then she's like. To push you into picking her, she's like, oh, uh, there's like a, there, there's a sim that wants to go with me, and if you don't go with me, I'm just gonna w go with him. Yep, and and she does say simp. Yeah, so, yeah, she's like very much that kind of person. Third, and third, there's Neon Red, um, who's like, she's Stephen Fatal, um, who very much, <laughs> that's like this really funny cutscene. I think this, there's this, uh, conversation I think it's the introductory cutscene with Neon Red which is like Red and White like definitely had a thing going on when they were alive but like White doesn't know that and he's like oh I need to uh, White by the way he's like very like damn horny <laughs> yes uh, <laughs> and like he's like oh uh, I need to 
occurred this woman. <laughs> Don't say it like that. He would never... Listen, listen, I have to defend my guy Neon White here. He would never say I have to court this woman. <laughs> but he's thinking it. <laughs> so like, he, he, like, no, he doesn't hit up on her. He's like, he's like blushing and he's like, no, oh, nice sweater, isn't it? And like Red is like, oh, he doesn't know. God gave me the best thing I could have wanted. It's like a, a clueless man who just who head over heels for me. Head over heels for me, and she's like absolutely like taking taking advantage of that. Yeah. So she's that kind of enfatal. Um, uh, and yeah, like the characters are just really fun because to me it's like what if a queer person that watches anime was writing this. Yes, you know? that's that's the thing, right? A lot of these things are very. Um... Uh, people are saying that these are very cringe, and like I get where they're coming from, but I think they're just not used to like these exact words being said in English. <laughs> yes, you know they're they're used to watching their anime that say the exact same thing. And not even that. There's like a lot of like modern lingo and slang that it just said in this yeah. game. That I mean, I hear people on, on like Twitter and Tumblr say a lot, and that's what it is. It's just yeah, modern slang. I, I don't think that is very cringe because um, that like the thing that anime and like uh, anime visual novels type stuff can do right is be this like large epic dramatic thing even in the small moments and so that's why archetypical characters work and so I think that like when you write them the way that Neon White is writing these um, and like you know, the way white will bounce off of what Violet says and then will immediately bounce off, like, what yellow is saying next. Like, it's it's very good writing. It just is doing a thing that people might not be used to in this context. Yeah, and, like, the characters are, like, I don't want to say they're, like, they have, like, two notes, <laughs> but... Yes. But they're, this, it's, like, they know that's what it is and they play well. Um, yeah, you, you want to talk to them more because you like these this writing interaction yes there's one more thing i want to say about the gameplay before we move on go ahead there's one bit like let's say world three world four which what is like oh this is so easy i'm ready to move on and they say oh you're gonna fight guardians then which are like these um really strong demons and and when you do the, the levels of first yeah they're like they're like insta heal um and you had to kill them, kill them really fast. And when you're doing levels like normally, just getting through them, it is like an obstacle when you're trying to get through them, and it does feel like hard. But like, I think it's really good that the game does this because to show you that why it really is like this um, really good killer. When you start speedrunning the levels, you get into the guardians like they're nothing. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh yeah, the game like contains well, it's like, oh, why is a speedrunner? <laughs> like, that's what, he, that's what he's doing. He's, he's not getting through the levels like normal. He's, like, speedrunning this whole thing because he really is that good. And, and the uh, the Guardians are used as, like, this, like, little timer for these moments, too, which I really like. Yeah. Yeah, Neon White's good. I, I want to play more of it, and I want to see if my um my PB on World 3-1 is still there because I spent way too long trying to do, like, the across-map snipe on that one. Oh, there's some maps that I'm just not... Uh, when I just gave up, I like I, like I don't want to do this. Uh, let's move on. <laughs> that's that's. There are some that I felt like that, but three three one I liked a lot, and I forget what the other one was. Or three one four one, uh, the one right before, not right before you fight green, but the one before that, and then there's one 
when it's introducing Stomp that, like, I've got the red medals on those, the, like, secret medals, and I was like, oh, let's mm. see Mary beat those, and you didn't, so. Yeah, no. There, there are, like, some maps that require, like, so much precision <laughs> that I just don't have yeah. that I just move on. And there are maps that I'm just like, oh, I don't want to spend the 30 seconds doing this. Mary can just take this five second lead. <laughs> I can't do it. I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. I could, but I don't want to. And maybe I couldn't because I don't think I can. There are some that I'm like, I'm milliseconds off from you and I just can't shave it off. So anyways, it's a good game. Yeah, again, if you're going to play it and you know somebody that might want to play it, it's definitely worth it to play it alongside somebody else in that sense. Leaderboarding your friends is very fun. Yes, and I'm glad that's the default, so I don't have to see how low I am in the uh, global rankings. My number four is a game that you didn't know I was playing. And I, oh. I didn't know if I wanted this to be number four or if I wanted this to be number three. This is Hard Space Shipbreaker. Uh, I don't think I have There's seen a... a single screenshot of this game. Hold on. <laughs> this is a game where you are in space and you work for this company and you're promised this beautiful job where you're breaking down uh you're salvaging spaceships uh and like putting the parts in the right baskets to get the money um and you're like oh this is going to be like a lot of money that i can make and that is true however you're then saddled with an enormous debt and you have to, like, it's literally something like $2 million in debt in the game. And the career is less making money and buying upgrades and more getting company credit to buy upgrades to pay off your debt. Um, the story itself is, like, kind of... It has its up and downs. Sometimes it's really good and understands, like, I don't know, it's just, like, good pro-union worker stuff. And then sometimes it's like, oh, well you're kind of making this person look like a bumbling buffoon because you don't like them. It's, it's less, it's less good, uh, sometimes. But, um, the mechanics of this game are amazing. Uh, so you are floating through space and you have a cutter tool, so you've got, like, a laser, uh, and you've got a grappling tool that's kind of like the gravity gun uh, from Half-Life, uh, and oh. you have to cut off parts of the ship, and, like, if the part is made out of aluminum, you have to put it through, uh, aluminum, right? So it's, it's... Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm looking right, I'm watching, I'm watching the trailer, I'm looking right now that you got dates off ships, I assume you sell them? Yes. Uh, you put, you put them in the furnace, or you put them in processing, or you put them in the, in the, in the barge, right? So they, there are these three different baskets for, like, the different types of things that are in the ship, so you have to cut it off precisely. When you cut things off, it, like, um, lowers value of what you're cutting, so you have to cut well, and most notably, it gets dangerous, um... So, yeah, like... Yeah, no, I, I don't, I don't think this kind of work is, like... <laughs> Um, danger free. Yes. Like, you have to figure out how to take off a thruster with the fuel line still on. And the way you oh. do this is you cut off the, the thruster cap, and because you're cutting off the thruster cap, or no, not the thruster cap, but behind there is the thruster itself, and then that's affixed to the fuel lines. And if you use your hot space cutter to cut the cut points on the fuel lines, your, the fuel lines are going to erupt into flame. 
So I should say that everything is like physics out in zero gravity. So what you have to do for this specific type of ship, that you start to learn about what specific types of ships there are as you're breaking them, uh, you cut the fuel lines, and you have basically have a timer before the ship explodes. Oh. Now that the fuel lines are on fire, and you take the engine, or the, take the thruster out, and you have to go inside the ship to turn off the emergency fuel. And there's no other way to get into that part of the ship beyond this thruster. Um, right, you start learning, like, details of like what the ship has and is and you yes. have to there's like different problems that start arising as you as you go through, through the ships and you have to have the right tool for the job like the right procedure so yeah. to make sure you don't die it makes labor the act of labor of doing this feel so good i i really like games that are like kind of mindless labor games right i but most yeah, of the I like time they're too. mindless, right? I'm, I'm playing House Flipper because I want to paint some walls while I listen to a podcast. But uh, Hard Space Shipbreaker, uh, I like have to stop playing stuff and focus on the job, and it feels good when I do it. Also, there's a 15-minute timer. It might be 12 minutes, but there's a timer, and you have to like salvage as much as you can in this time while also figuring out what this ship is, what to, where to like cut the places, um, maximize the job. Is the timer always in like only like every single mission, or is like? Um, uh... So the, I've been playing the career mode, but there is a free play mode. Um, in the career mode, you have like a timer for the uh, for the for the mission for the day of work. And when it ends, you go to the next day and, like, story progresses, right? And I presume I have to pay off this debt before the story is done. Yes. But uh, there is a free play mode for just the act of breaking down these ships and kind of getting used to these ships. Uh, that's good. Um, I also should say that, like, since it's, like, in zero G, right? Um, something that's always had an issue for me for games in zero G are, like grounding myself or like feeling like there's a bottom to things um otherwise i get like really motion sick and like really i don't even get that motion sick i just get very um disoriented when like you know i turn around and suddenly i've been drifting very softly or like in a corkscrew and i didn't notice it and suddenly my ground isn't my ground anymore because of the way that i like uh used my gravity gun of this like right incredibly heavy titanium and i moved it and then i that moved me slightly and i have to ground myself that's always been a problem for me in games like this but not for this game this game i feel like i can like turn around and like shoot something into the right basket and then i like i do like a 180 backwards and i'm upside down still cutting the ship because i i, I feel very comfortable with the controls after like a couple of i broke my helmets on the ships because i was going too fast and didn't know what the break was but once that was done <laughs> oh, that's that's interesting. I thought what you were going to say is that that this game had like like you drift and there's like floatiness, which like would make sense if you're in space. Um, but what you're saying is that this game prioritizes preciseness over uh, like realisticness. No, I I feel like well, I mean yeah, right. There's there's like I could just press control and my suits like nano thrusters will allow me to break immediately or not immediately, but slow me down and break me. Um, but what I mean is like I think that the way that these ships are modeled and like the way that you interact with these ships, it's way less to worry about like where's up 
and more like how do you break these ships you gotta go fast and it feels because like you're mastering your own tools as you play um and it feels like you're growing more confident in this like labor job as you do it um it's very good like i, I really enjoy the act of playing this game that's cool uh I, I, to be honest, I never heard of it. Maybe I heard the name, but I don't really. I've never seen it. <laughs> it is like the first time I've seen it. It's it's really cool, and it's, it was always hard for me to visualize when I heard about it. So I played it, and I really like it. You should you should get it, uh, or just to try it out. Um, I like. I don't know how well you'd stick with it, but I think you would appreciate what it's doing. Sure. Uh, there's one more question that maybe I, I was thinking about about it when you mentioned the story. Would you watch Alien for the? I watched Ellie for the first time this year. Oh, we, I, I, that was my first time too. We watched it together. Okay, I like Ellie has like uh, a very uh, uh, union uh, positive uh, narrative going into it, which is like, oh, the corporation only cares about what the corporation cares. They don't really care about you. Um, do you think it's like a like this game was grinding upon that the way Alien does it, or it was um... it like different? Uh, whoever made this game loves Marx, um, and I feel like that's about it. <laughs> no, that's, that's a little mean. Um, <laughs> uh, so part of my issue with the story here is, um, so you, you, you know, you get saddled with this incredible debt as you do this job and you are introduced to the other workers on your team. Um, these aren't people that like you actually see in the game. They're like characters that are doing their own ship breaking off, off screen. Um, and then there's, so they are a weaver, your like supervisor who used to be a shipbreaker, but got a bad injury and couldn't continue working anymore and has to pay off the debt doing like way, you know, he's basically going to be here forever. Um, and then there's mm. a, there's a, like an upstart guy named Kaizo who's like, he's not good at this job, but he has the debt now and he's he's never going to pay it off. And you know that he's never going to pay it off upon immediately meeting him. And there's Lou, who is... I mean, she's she says, hey, new person, do you, hey, rookie, here's my, here's my secret uh, terminal passcode for uh, the, the Communist Manifesto. Uh, <laughs> we should start a, a, start a union and... Uh, uh, then, because people were talking about a union, the corporation was like, "Oh, let's like figure this out, and uh, well, let's bust these unions." And um, a guy comes in to to like make sure nothing fishy's going on. Um, and this is all like regular, you know. You're telling this story about this capitalistic world where people are saddled with these debts and have to pay them off like that. Uh, but then the person that comes in to investigate is like. They do not paint him well as a character. Uh, he is dumb because he he is dumb because he does not value the job that you're doing, but he demands it. But also because he's dumb, it doesn't feel like the capitalistic pressure is upon you, right? It feels like a guy who I don't like, um, and I feel like that's a mistake. Mm. I feel like uh, uh, I feel like the bits are there for it to be like, oh, I we. 
The supervisors who come in know what they're doing when they're doing union busting. They know what they're doing. They're not they're not coming in and being dumb and kind of kind of like a thing for you to point your point a laugh at for uh, who doesn't know you know the right old labor job of what, what we can do. Um, no, they're they're smart people who come in and bust up unions and make work hell for for these people who are trying to get things better and i feel like that was a mistake on this part of the story and that's what i mean right you think it's like like very corny the way it does it right yes uh i kind of think i nailed exactly what my issue with the with the story here is is that everything corporate side is satirical but everything like worker side is not treated as satirical and so it feels like there is less like actual care put into the story of um a corporate that like wants to hurt its people by and abuse them and essentially enslave them by having this incredible amount of debt on them it just it just feels like it's uneven and i don't think it's that good that's all i think the the game though oh it's great <laughs> so that was my number four and we've right. been here for i mean we've been we were recording for like 20 minutes before but we should get get going. What's your number? What's your number four? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, my number four. Uh, let me look here. My number four is Sonic Frontiers. Uh, I was wondering how high you place this guy. That's him. That's Sonic. Yeah, I was gonna put it at five, but whoa, that's two fast games. Yes. Uh, there's something I want to talk about Sonic Frontiers regarding to Neon White, but that's later. Uh, first, I'm gonna talk about Sonic Frontiers. Sonic Frontiers is the 3D Sonic game that came out 2022. That it's a... Uh, I don't want to call it open world. Uh, let me say right now, I don't think this game... It, it is open world, but it's not open world in the, in the way you're thinking. What's more, the developers called this game open zone, which I thought was very corny, but I think they're right. <laughs> <laughs> so... It's Sonic, you know him. You know him, it's Sonic. It's blue, runs fast. I'm always saying this about him. <laughs> This game has a story, but it's very minimal minimalistic, uh, but I'll try to explain it. Um, well, Eggman goes into a forest and puts his daughter onto a, a pedestal. Yeah, well, uh, Eggman finds the ruins of like this ancient civilization, and he wants the power of that for himself. So he has a new character... Sage, I love her so much. New character Sage... Um, retrieve all that information for him but in doing that she finds out something and goes into into a different world and Eggman goes into it with her and he gets stuck in cyberspace which I don't have to explain it he just gets stuck in cyberspace then Sonic and Gang which he, in this case in this game is Tails, Knuckles and Amy going to the Starfall Islands because I think it was because Egg, because the new Eggman was yeah, here right? Uh or no, they don't. No, they didn't know. I don't fucking remember why. It doesn't really matter because that's not even what it's about, right? Yeah, and they get stuck in cyberspace also, and the game starts in a cyberspace level, and you get introduced first off to cyberspace levels, which are classic 3D Sonic levels. Uh, they're very much structured in a way that they're like a roller coaster, right? What you find out really quickly is that these are really short. Yes very short i was very surprised uh but anyway you get through the first level and you wake up and sonny wakes up in the Starfall islands and he gets uh told to gather seven chaos emeralds so he can free his friends he's he then meets sage they have like really fun dyna yes. dynamic I, I think 
Sage is like a really smart addition as a new character because every time we get a new character for Sonic, it's like Sonic's body yeah. or something, which I like, but... I should say that, like, when it comes to our histories with Sonic, that Mary is a Sonic fan and I am not. Oh yeah, I should prefer I should preface that because there's a lot of yeah, there's like a lot of people that have wildly different opinions of Sonic, and I'm really falling into the camp of I think Shadow of the Hedgehog is really cool <laughs> because he is. Yeah, I like I I I played the classic games since I was a kid, and I played well. I didn't really play the adventure games when I was a kid. I played them when I was like a teenager, but I really liked them anyway. Uh, my history with Sonic is Sonic Adventure Two. And, oh, I rented Sonic Unleashed when I was a kid. That's it. I don't have any Sonic experience. Uh, oh, but I did watch the cartoon. I watched Sonic X in America. So yeah, I played the classic games. I played the adventure games. I didn't play Osids. I didn't play Unleashed. But I did play Colors. Uh, of the boost era, there's like very few games I played. I played Colors. I played Generations. I didn't play Forces because... I mean, I, we all, even even the hard, the diehard Sonic fans know <laughs> that game is bad, <laughs> which is insane. It's it's the best idea. What if you were in a Sonic game? But they, how did they? Anyways, uh, and then also it's like Sonic Mania came out, which is like a very like pivotal moment in like Sonic history because because they made a good one. <laughs> yeah, they made like the first good game in like a long time, but like. I sort of assumed like it was just going to be uh, like an exception to their like rather than a rule mm-hmm. because this was made by a group of fans of Sonic. It, it was like a it was like a canon fan game basically. Yeah. And then also like stuff about the developers like having a falling out with Sega came out and they made their own studio, their own they're making their own game. So probably like Sonic Mania Two isn't happening anytime soon. So it's like oh okay, um, it was just once in a lifetime thing uh not not that harsh but it's something that we're probably not gonna see for like a while yeah i mean i'll be that harsh i'm not the sonic fan here it, i can't believe they made a good game <laughs> but anyway uh when it comes to 3d sonic uh people have like wildly different opinions about what's, what's a good 3d sonic game and what's a bad 3d sonic game yes. even among fans there's like you can't pick two people that have wildly different opinions than, than each other about what's a good 3d sonic game all of my jokes are coming from like a history of like everybody is always so mean about sonic <laughs> yeah uh but anyway sonic frontiers comes out and it's we all, I, we all thought it was gonna be like a like a general seven out of ten. Sorry, not even that. People thought it was gonna be like a, a five point five, pushing to seats out of ten. <laughs> I thought it was going to be a seven out of ten because I just like Sonic games. But it was like the year surprise because it either people really loved it or they really hated it. And you know you're dealing with a good game when that happens. <laughs> That's a very merry thing to say about a video game. Well, I, I like when games are like very experimental. And this game is like the the epitome of like experimental. For a Sonic game. Sure. Personally, I think they're grabbing like all the good things about Sonic games, 3D Sonic games in the past, and putting them into a blender and making a gameplay loop mm. out of out of it. I talk about the cyberspace levels, which are like the good aspects of, of like like just 3D Sonic. Like acts uh, are just like very designed, mm. and they're like a roller coaster. And they, 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 that's basically that's basically what this is. But they're shorter, 
and you can get to them. Yep, and that's that's where the neon white element came in from before, right? Like you you like to speed run those. Yeah, there's like a lot of Sonic fans that dismiss the cyber spell levels, but I'm one of the few people that think they are good. And I'm ne- because I've never taken you for a speedrunner. Well, I like doing it sometimes. Never took you for that. Uh, I know, I know, I know. Like a speedrunner, speedrunner, and it says I, I don't run games, but if a game has like a speedrun function, I I will try it. But anyway, uh, I think Sonic Frontiers grabs that element of like 3D Sonic, makes it into smaller levels, puts a like a time counter up above, and says, "Okay, speedrun then." Mm-hmm. Uh, which yeah, I mean that's what they want you to do, but there's. There's levels where it works and there's levels where it doesn't, because <laughs> I played Neon Wilder later this like later that year and I think they definitely need to push those numbers yeah. a little bit more because there's there's like there's like a level that's like everybody that's played the game you don't know, know it's one two which is like really hard to get DS rank uh, but for most other levels it's like really easy that's that's a red base then there's the open zone which is when you get introduced to like the main part of the game which is it's um, the islands. You start before, after going through a couple uh, tutorial stuff. Uh, you can just play the play the game. There's like a bunch of like puzzles. Korok so like in replacement for like <laughs> Ubisoft. Yeah, it's like a mix of like Korok seats and like Ubisoft towers in that they cover the map. That's right. I forgot they literally do the Ubisoft thing. Yeah, but I mean that's fine. To me, it's fine. And those are like really simple. They just start to, f- to fulfill a function. Well, and and also, like, they start uncovering parts of this island and, like, like makes springs and rails show up. And you start using these to go around the island faster instead of, like, a fast travel. You start using that to go through those nodes. And I actually really liked that bit. Yeah, there's, there's fast travel in this game, but it's, like, at the very end of, like, the map uncovering. And be- but before that, you unlock, like, rails and stuff to, like, get through the map faster. And... There's one thing about this game that I think is like to its strength. It's like, oh, I will add, like people are like, oh, Atsuli will play a Sonic game where you just run, right? Or just run through a plane. And this game is that. You're basically just playing a Sonic in like an open space. Um, there's also like smaller puzzles, like just off into the distance. Um, I mean, there's people that complain about this, about how the game has no, like, art direction. Me, I was one of those when I saw the trailers. Because that watch was floating. Uh, I didn't mind it. Uh, I don't care. But also, I feel like I should play the game and, like, find out more about... Like, I, this is not, like, an excuse. Uh, but I feel like I should find more about the people that used to live here and how they built the structures. I think it makes sense, but... I mean, there's like a bunch of th- things about this game that I think they could have explained better and like showed better. But uh, I think that's something that can I ask they you can a question? Improve in like a future game. Um, hmm? We've been talking about this game for a bit, and there's been lots of lots of talking about what we like that other people dislike about this game. But can I ask you the question straight up? Why is it on your list this high? Like it's only number four, but you know why the beat. Uh, neon white like what what is it about this game that when you think about this game you go this is why it's really good to me well when i came into this game uh, i have the perception that it was going to be like an open world the way you would normally think about an open world yeah, right breath of the wild it's trying to hit breath of the wild yeah this game like aesthetically goes a lot for like breath of the wild tones yeah and i think they shouldn't have because this game has a different gameplay loop from an open world. 
for like the first hour and a half I was playing this game, it wasn't hitting because I had that perception of like, oh, this open world, I played this way, um, I'm gonna play it that way, and it was, just wasn't hitting. But then after doing cyberspace levels a little bit, uh, running around the world, uh, fighting against the guardians, which are like these mini bosses on the field, which apply a different uh, aspect of 3D Sonic, which are like. Yeah, they just become boss battles. Yeah, they were like the boss battles in prior games, but put into the world as mini games because they're barely puzzle like, with the exception of like the ninja which, ha- which uses the, the fighting system. Nothing which is beats this game. the moment of, hey, that thing's trail kind of looks like a track. Can I jump on it? And you do, and you start a boss fight. Oh, yeah, that's that's the mo- Yeah, that's the moment when. <laughs> like I fell in love with the game because I didn't, I really didn't expect that. Because in, in past games, like that was like such a spectacle that they made put you through. Like, like it would be like a whole level. Here is just like here on the field, and you start it when you want to start it. It's it, like it's part of the world. Also, you really only have to do it once if you want to to get the thingy. And like I think it's really, really good. And then that's when to me it started making sense that oh, this is this is what the game is like. This is what the gameplay loop is about it's not an open world it's a new kind of like thing they're trying to do that just it made sense to me because like the cyberpunk levels to me were fun uh the running around was fun fighting the bosses was fun and which by the way the, the combat system is like really nice it's uh it's like very simplistic for like an action game but um i mean it, it doesn't abstract anything uh it's fairly simple yes yeah, I, I think that the the fighting system is, like, really basic, but I also think it needs to be really basic. Yeah. Um, you can basically just parry, hold the parry button for, like, as long as you want. And you Which parry. feels like somebody <laughs> wanted there to be a parry window, and then somebody went, no, 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 we need to make our game also playable by six-year-olds. Because there are, like, those challenges that are, like, parry three things, and, like, there's no parry window. I just have to hold the block button. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's. I think there's something to like. It's fine if like it's that easy for like normal, but I think for hard mode they could like afford to be a little bit harder. But that's just like me. Um, and also like the boss fights, like the actual boss fights, um, which are titans. Right, where it starts playing the fucking awesome music. Yeah, once you collect all seven kills somewhere else, actually sits because you collect the seven on the titan. Um, you get to like introduce like a new type of boss fight, which is Supersonic. Which like in past games, Supersonic was relegated to the final boss fight, but here, thanks to the combat system, actually, Supersonic is happening like every single boss fight. And you have this like great set piece as like very silly music is playing in the background, but good silly music, just like very Sonic, right? You know, it's very Crush Forty, very like yeah. I am all of me. <laughs> Um, yeah, just like screamo in uh, as the theme songs, which is like, which is really good. I mean, it's it's like the game embracing like what Sonic yes. has always been. Absolutely, I think so. I this is all, these were highlights for me. I actually really liked the boss fights. The so-called boost era of Sonic is like very self-conscious of itself, and people really hated that me, uh, including me, because I mean, I I I just like love the corniness of like the adventure era of sonic uh i think it's like very honest about itself yes and this last decade just wasn't but frontiers like regains the like honesty about itself and so they so they brought ian flynn the writer of the idw comics Mm. to do some writing which like 
later on they clarified that the story the, like the broad strokes of the story was already made by by Sonic team and they then they brought Ian Flynn to like iron out like the actual script and how the scenes would go and everything so like I will select the the writings I join effort between Sonic team and Ian Flynn but it's like very uh, genuine I feel like Sonic thing finally like embrace like who they are and what they like to make and Ian Fling just knows very just knows Sonic very well and what the strength of each character is that they just make everything shine the way it should have sh- Hell yeah. shown uh, and the boss fights are like an extension of that like they're very adventurer and like in a good way um there's like these screamers <laughs> sounds in the beginning like playing as you're like fighting having like like very hype fights with giants a giant worm monster as it like twirls around in the sky as you like do a shmup boss fight with it i don't want to spoil one of one of the ones that happens because it's like very high like i literally like open my mouth when it happened like it's a <laughs> boss fight there's like some weak there's like a weak one like the last one uh, the last Titan, they could have been more to it, mm-hmm. but overall they were like very good. And mostly what Frontiers uh, represents in the future is what I'm most excited for than Frontiers itself. I think like the next 3D Sonic game, with the lessons they learn with this game and what they can expand upon, I think the next game can be like incredibly good. Yeah, I- I'm actually very, very excited for what they put out next. And as the last bit for this this uh, Sonic talk, I, I do want to say again that Sage is so good. Um, she is like the missing puzzle piece for Robotnik to me. Um, like, so I said Robotnik, yes. I meant Eggman, but whatever. Eggman is like, Eggman has always been like whatever to me. Like, yeah, he, like, yeah he's just like a guy that Sonic needs to beat up. But in this one, like, they take the fact that he is this creator of like sentient robots. And so he, and then he creates the AI Sage, who is like this young girl. She's like, I don't know, like eight <laughs> with emo hair. And yeah. she's so mad at Sonic. She hates Sonic because Eggman hates Sonic. <laughs> And she she wants she wants her dad to be so proud of her, and he is, and that's what's crazy. It's fucking Eggman has a daughter now, and it's so good. <laughs> the thing that's hard for Sonic writing wise also is that really Eggman is the only villain, <laughs> right? Uh, like they ha- they have tried to make like new villains, but like nobody likes Sabok. Who? <laughs> the final bosses of other games, which. Are, like are not Eggman because like Eggman teams up with Sonic more often than not to be like the real bad guy of the game but like those are final bosses they're like GRPG final bosses they're not like right yeah in Sonic Unleashed you fight the earth itself or something yeah and so like there are no actual villains I like I Shadow was supposed to beat up but then after Adventure 2 and after Heroes and after Shadow the Headshot <laughs> Shadow just became like like an ally and so there really hasn't been like an antagonist that they can put up against Sonic and Sage just works because one she's a psychic of Eggman which means she can't just turn into an ally in like future right. game because she's always going to be in Eggman's side yes. and Eggman is always going to be against Sonic and also creates this dynamic which like Sage can totally just be like the antagonist of like another game and Eggman is maybe 
not there because he's doing something else or like i don't know she just feels like a missing piece to to the whole thing yeah or like or like or like if they want to make like sonic adventure 2 or something which i know they want to make um like sage can be in like the like the dark side <laughs> um but yeah that's it is good yes i i think i i do want to go back to to sonic frontiers well we've been we've been going for 33 minutes on this bit here we should we gotta cut it off sometime yeah we should we should go to <laughs> don't worry three. this one's quick need for speed unbound uh for um so Ooh, yeah yeah when i was a kid i loved need for speed most wanted 2006 uh, because I loved playing dress up with my car, and then I went th- with my car through the city and killed a bunch of cops. And in Need for Speed Unbound, I can do that again. This is why it's number three. Next one. No. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, I'm, I mean, there's something to say about that because like Need for Speed has been on in the gutter for like. Yes. I mean, I don't know how long. I feel like last time I played a Need for Speed game was like the 2000s yes this is my game that is probably slightly worse than hard space Shipbreaker, but i like it more so it's on number three <laughs> um <laughs> so you are right it's been in the gutter for a very long time need for speed is this like annual release series of card car games but the thing uh, is, is that they're it, it was <laughs> it used to be annual and then they made it like uh, biannually because <laughs> but <in> the <laughs> because Need for Speed was always doing different things in the early early years um, they then never had a proper identity to fall back on as an annual release and just kind of never found footing again um, in Need for Speed Unbound the thing that I really like about it Number one, I just really like this like mix of arcade game, arcade racer, and like I don't know, like there's more weight to an, just an arcade racer. I pl- I played Forza Horizon, but like it, it didn't feel like there was any th- weight to my car uh, unless I was like fine tuning it. But that never mattered. I could just like jump off a cliff and be fine. And in this one, I could jump off a cliff and be fine. But that's fine because that's what the game is. Um, Forza Horizon was this mix of wanting to be like, oh, we want to like appeal to people who know about cars and like fine tune your your steering and your suspension and stuff and your tire pressure. Um, and this one is, yeah, you upgrade across a tree as long as you get money from your races. By the way, there's like a push and pull system for how you get money for your races. So in the day, uh, there are races you can do, and when you do races, you increase your heat with the cops. Um, in the day, your heat increases slowly, and your money output is still kind of slow. But because you, you start the day with zero, you're encouraged to like play and get money here so you can upgrade your car. And then you go back home, and then it's nighttime. And your heat stays from where it was in the day. So say I did three races, I now have heat mm-hmm. three out of five. Um, and it, the, the cops are slightly dangerous. If I get caught, all the money that I've made from racing from that session is gone. Um, so like, and and like number five, like heat five is genuinely kind of tough. Um, at worst, like the, at the best it's, oh, this is so annoying. I don't want to do this, which is, you know, 
I don't think it's actually that annoying unless you're in the late game where, like, you can still shake them super easy, but, like, it's a threat for most of the game. Yeah, I thought that, like, hit one is, like, very easy. Yes. <laughs> but, as, like, as it goes on, like, they add, like, more stuff. Mm -hmm. Like, if you, like, higher hit levels, like, I know hit level two has, like... SUVs. And it's, yeah, SUV, yeah. and, like... I don't know when they introduce, like, the helicopters. Yep. Heat level 3, they introduce helicopters. Heat level 4, they introduce undercover guys, which are, uh... Or undercover guys and interceptors, which are, uh... Guys oh. that, like, you can't just shake by good race. You have to, like, either kill them or, uh... Uh, like, go off-road and, and find little hidden alleyways to, to trick them. Uh, and then level 5 are, like the army is after you with, like, fucking giant-ass, basically, tanks. Yeah. <laughs> they suck. <laughs> you touch them and your health goes way down. <laughs> um, but they're, they're a little slow and you can, like, maneuver around them, but, like, if you lose momentum with them around, they're gonna catch up to you and just ram the shit out of you. Uh, and it sucks. Um, but... The thing that this does is you get heat up to level 5 very commonly because you're going to be in at least 5 races a day. Um, and so it is a risk-reward right, right. system of do I want to cash in now? Do I want to risk? Because all you need is one mistake. All you need is one bad turn, one one drift those that goes out of control, and all your money's gone. You've seen that happen to me. <laughs> <laughs> one bad day you might say one bad day um and so yeah and the story is fine um you know i don't expect a lot from it but it was like fun it's definitely of this like archetype of like street racer right game. just just like neon white if you're not gonna make something very poignant you might as well just make something that's fun yes right. and it is fun uh and and um i i really like there's there's a character named tess in the game and she just sucks <laughs> and everybody's like this person <laughs> sucks everybody hates her but she's also like your manager who like is helping you find races and like so you just gotta go with it <laughs> and it's great oh, and she's, she's like giving you like incredibly sketchy jobs and and you're like i think i'm stealing cars from people and she's like that's not my problem. Well, I'm about to eat at this new place with all the money that you got me on your last race. Bye. And I love her to bits. <laughs> She's a little <laughs> annoying, but um, I'm a little annoying, so it's fine. Another thing that I think why this game is like like a good Need for Speed is like, I personally like the more... I, I'm more the person that likes the, your Need for Speed carbons, which are more like open world uh, dwarf war kind of game. Mm -hmm. But you, I know that you like the arcade yes. Need for Speed more. And from what I see, this game is like both of those, yes. right? The map is large enough for there to be like separate areas of that these races that you're in feel distinct when you're doing them. You know, you start, you know, play this game enough in, in a row, you start going, oh, I recognize these turns. Oh, wait, I recognize this track that I'm on. Um, but like, yes, this is, this, you know... I don't know, it's a Need for Speed game. It shouldn't be $70. Hey, this game is $70. It's That's bad. <laughs> this game yeah, should not be $70. Why, that's, <laughs> that's why I haven't played it. Hey, I have it. We have Steam Share. You can get it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But... Uh, they, they... I mean, they they pay for the car licensing, but they they get, like, the licensing money 
I'll, I'll put their clothes brands. Yes, lots <laughs> of sponsoring. Um, yeah. A very hilarious, I think this is right, I don't know clothes like this. You know, I don't know clothes brands, I just like fashion in general. But, like, they're, they're like, I, I, I'm not even going to embarrass myself by saying what it is. But, like, there's this, like, ugly, like, golden black that I, like, absolutely raced to wear. That was, like, a thousand in-game dollars to wear. <laughs> <laughs> it's ugly as hell. Right, I think, I, I see it, I, like... I I, I I think people were in this yes. on in, on the street. Yeah. Um and uh I just you know, playing this game, I learned that I really enjoy when I have momentum. I really enjoy the feeling of having to go around a space differently because of what the game is asking me, right? Going around the world as a car is completely different than going around the world as, like, a person on the street, on, you know, third person walking around, and I like that, um, you know, you know, you were talking about Sonic Frontiers as, like, a, you know, being a platformer, uh, or rather, you know, mm -hmm. Sonic in general is a platformer, um, and so, like, momentum is important, and I've never been a platformer person, but, you know, playing Need for Speed Unbound, I was like, this is just fun, I just like driving this. Um, I beat the game, and I thought about replaying it. I'm gonna let it take some time to, like, give me that want to play through that story again, um, just because... I'm not an open-world person, I want the arcade races, um, so I want to replay the story rather than just continue with the post-game, but that's me. That's just me. Right, um, yeah, no, I know that's what you like about these games. Uh, so, uh, yeah. And I've got a really cool car that I love. I love this, like, old fucking, um... Oh yeah, that's, that's what I saw, like, the, um, like, the color palette in this game for, like, the cars like customiz customization like it looks like really different from like what you normally see of yes. other car games and it wants you to get four cars of different like tiers so you get to like uh for, for like the big grand race i didn't even talk about how there's always a ticking clock because when you get busted your day is gone there that chunk of day is gone also and there is like at the end of the week there is a race and there are four weeks in this game period so, like, mm -hmm. it is always moving forward, which is just, like, I really enjoy when a game is, like, finite in this way, and it knows it's finite, and it goes with the risk-reward mechanic very well, and also, I really like my super old, oh, fuck, I forgot what it was called. I'm not a car person, but, um, Porsche? No, it wasn't a Porsche, was it? Pontiac, maybe? I don't know. It was this, like, kind of silly-looking yellow car that I loved a lot, um... It was like in 1970 something, but I liked it a lot. Um, yeah, if you got me remembering some names of some cars, I say that's a win of a card game. You know what game didn't do that is Forza Horizon, and it's like spin the wheel of fortune mechanic to get a new car. Fucking game that costs money, but also it has like dailies you have to grind. <laughs> yeah. Forza Horizon 5 is, it was fun, but it just wasn't for me. Uh, so um, shall three. we move on to my number three? Yes. My number three is going to be Legend of Mana. What? This was an option? Yeah. Yeah, because we played this this year, last year. Right, but it what didn't come out last year. No, but I need I needed to put a game in this list. 
All uh, right. And I have like a lot of things about, uh, like I have a lot of things to say about this game. All right. Not that you do too. Yes, I, I enjoy this game. The reason this game is not on this list is because it didn't come out this year, and this is the list of 2022. I don't consider that to be that way. Okay, then um, I just got to might as well get rid of my number one and just put, hey, spoiler alert, my number one will now be Ebe. Came out this year, technically the remake. <laughs> no, please continue. I'm 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 just kind of poking fun at you. Please, I would love to hear your thoughts on Legend of Mana. Yeah. So you're allowed one. You're allowed one weird pick. <laughs> okay. So I actually didn't play this game. Uh, you played it. Yes. But I mean, well, you were I player. did play it, but I I played it a long time ago, back when I was a kid. And you were with me every step of the way while I played it, and you were two player. Yes, but. Watching you play it was like I was playing a new game because you played a completely different game that I did. Um, <laughs> Legend of Mana is a Square Enix JRPG that came out in the PS1 era. You play as an unnamed protagonist. Uh, you can choose out of two very femme-looking <laughs> uh, characters. Uh, to be like, if I'm honest, back when. The game came out the first time. They just never gendered these characters. I assumed they were both girls. <laughs> just one has short hair, big abs. Yeah, and like maybe there's something there that, alongside Final Fantasy Tactics Advance, I mean, a, a very androgynous-looking protagonist. Okay, we don't. We are. We are. We have gone on for an hour. We cannot talk about Final Fantasy Tactics Advance and go on for another. I, hour. I will not. I will not. I will not. I will not. I'm just saying there's, there's something there that leads to me being a trans woman now. Yes. But anyway, so like the game starts, um, you pick your character, you name your character, then you're asked to place your, your home on the world map. Uh, and, and this is in, in the form of a relic. Uh, actually, I didn't talk, I never remember that the game actually starts with a cutscene because I always skipped it when I was a kid. <laughs> Uh, but basically what happens is you like mean the incredibly world... lore important cutscene that like frames my entire reading of this entire game <laughs> yes the cutscene shows like like the world like burning and I'm facing like many cataclysms and it like the locations on the world become into artifacts yes like for example the first one you get for your house is a mailbox and the second one you get for an entire town are like three like child's blocks yeah child's play blocks and then you can order cutting which is the mana tree which in the mana series god is a tree yes it's yes jrpg we, we got sorry that. goddess it's a goddess <laughs> which talks about oh humanity is traced from it from its path they they are not thankful for 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 why I am or why I provide for them, and they only seek to take advantage of what I give them. Uh, and because they're such insolent childs, um, I will take everything away from them until they learn how how to behave, yeah. basically. And, and it should be said for for me at least, like it was given freely and then you know taken and then taken back because it was it was always like you know treat me well. Yeah, I like I like the game. Basically, from that point, when you take control of the game, it's unclear as to what you're supposed to do because there's no objective. Uh, I mean, there is one which is like restore the world, but you don't know. It's not something that you're thinking about, right? And, and you, that cutscene is so disparate from the character and the player at that time, right? Like, uh, yeah, the player no, is not thinking about that. The character, I'm saying, yeah, the protagonist is not thinking about restoring the world. The, the protagonist is just like living their life. 
So you go to like the first town, uh, Domina, and immediately for the moment you enter, uh, you realize there's like a bunch of side quests you can do <laughs> that you can choose to do in any order that you want. Yep. You can help Pearl and Elasol. Boo! Because like... Basically like if the Joker was a guy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think... No, I think this is more like... This is more like a Sasuke than... Like a Sasuke-Sakura situation, Yes, yes, right? yes. Well, y- yeah. And Pearl and are like a whole quest line, but you can also choose to help Nicolo, the merchant, which is definitely a scammer. Yes. <laughs> or or you can go to like the outskirts of the city and find Bud and Lisa, who are like these... Uh... Little, little witch apprentices. You could find them so soon? Damn, it took us like half the game to figure out where they were. <laughs> you actually unlock them like after you do your first quest, but <laughs> you took a while. <laughs> I just didn't go back there, I guess. And like, the game is very open-ended in how you decide to do things, because what the game wants you to do is just explore the world, meet people, talk to them, learn what they're about, help people, and it's like a very freeing game. Two... Uh, to help, you know, the listener who may not have played this weird game. Um, so you do these side quests and you're granted different artifacts as you do these side quests to show, like, put more things on the map as new places. And sometimes you unlock, like, ones that can only be placed next to water. uh, Something that can't be placed next to water. Um, Sometimes you unlock, like, two in a row, and then you can only put one down. And so you're like, well, I guess I have to choose where I'm going. And then you choose one, and then you're wrapped up in another quest there, and then you get another artifact, right? And because of this format, it kind of spirals out into, like, I went to places Mary has never been, and Mary is talking about, there's a character I know you would really want to see, but you just aren't placing the artifact down. You can't you can't <laughs> talk to them. You can't start this quest line anymore. <laughs> yeah, there's like there's like a like a place I went to prepare to see called uh Gatokrotos, which is it's like a temple city which, which is like full of nuns and it's like has like a religion and a church and I just really like the vibes of that place and like the quests that are in there and you took forever to get that place <laughs> and you can get it like right away I did get it right away and I visited there and I just left and I didn't go back for a while right that's what happened you just didn't go there but like also this game has has like a lot of side characters which is just mm. even if they have like one or two notes they have like a lot of personality yes yes absolutely the writing in that game i feel is like it knows exactly how to deliver what these characters are to you um and then it since the character like the the protagonist can't talk uh what happens is that every one of these quests are like set pieces so that you understand the this story that's happening in this place with these characters yeah, I like the tone of this game. Like, at first, like, very lighthearted. And then it is, like, drug out. Like, it never stopped in, like, lighthearted. But, like, things happen, like, oh, somebody was put the stone, or, uh, oh, somebody died, which happens, like, a <laughs> more than a couple of times. And it's... I like how it's presented as just, like, a thing that happens in the world. Yes. Like, this game is very much about uh, experiencing life as as it is, mm-hmm. and not presented it as, like, a narrative. Yeah, there, there's not, like, a main story for this game. No. Uh, in fact, you do eventually have to pick, like, a major side quest, but once you get to, to the final quest, it's very much... Like, I feel like the purpose of your of this whole game was to just experience 
the world yes. and see how like even though the mana god is like oh my, my children are ungrateful and they're evil and i they need to learn how to which also i feel like i should clarify do i need to clarify like what happens before this game <laughs> like the in the world the setting yeah i don't know you've never you never told me no it doesn't yeah, it isn't that important is, to me yes that is told to you uh which pokiel oh they're right in this game in this game there are wisdoms yes who are who are like so the hierarchy in this game is like there's people then there's heroes who are <laughs> people that do great great deeds and then there's and their heroes can go to become wisdoms who are um s- you tell me if this is right because i only played when it comes to the mana series this was the only one that i played and i was very much like no let me experience this rather than like give me context as i play this um and what i got from it especially with uh the fairy ending that i got are that wisdoms are you know heroes of this of these eras that like market an era of like this time of this world that are like oh you know pokiel is a wisdom who was in a war this is like a personality trait of his is that he was a person who fought in a war and he is still alive he is a wisdom now because his era that he is from is defined by what he is yeah one one of my favorite uh side quests in this game is explaining what happened like a long time ago the junkyard uh which i assume is a what Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the, the junkyard. Yes. Uh, what, like, which I assume is what happened before the events of this game, which is like a great war that happened, and Bokiel, which is one of the wisdoms, was one of the. Uh, sorry, um, if you don't want me to spoil any side quests of this game, like, <laughs> um, stop listening for like two minutes or, or like a minute and a half. So like you go to the junkyard and there's like a bunch of like plushes. This like a like a junkyard for like abandoned items and a lot of them are like children's items like a rocking horse yeah there's like a lot of a lot of toys plushes stuff like that and you can talk to a couple of them and some of and they're all like talking about a war <laughs> like they're fighting a war yes and and there's very like like very intense like there's moments that's like oh Pokil, please tell me to keep fighting you should tell me to keep fighting i would do anything for you <laughs> And, and like they were like clearly, very clearly dying, and it's like it like very much tells you about a real thing that happened in this world. That once uh, the world became artifacts, the people that were once part of that world became something else, but their memories were retained. And that's how you find out that Pokiel, before he was a wisdom, who by the way, Pokiel. At this, pre- at his presented to you in this, he just shows up in like yeah. a random side quest. Yeah, in a couple. Uh, he sometimes he's just at your house telling you how to forge a sword. Not even right. He wasn't the forge a sword guy. He was. Um... No, he just tells you where somebody is. Yeah, yeah, that's what it was. So Pokil, uh, you find out that he's like a military general, <laughs> maybe in this war and through this conflict that he became a hero. Yes, something that I really liked about that game is the way it will introduce people to you so that you understand who these people are and then that itself is a metaphor for like the stuff that's going on in what the game wants to present to you but because it's so like abstract it feels like or not abstract but like so non-linear it feels really good yes. when you suddenly realize something like pokey wait a second pokey is this war guy yeah 
like Tempo Kill just shows like you can meet him before that. I did, like, yeah, I did the um I went to the mine. He's he's like this poet guy that he tells uh he writes music and makes poetry of out of like notable people in the world. And like a wisdom is like like somebody who retired not just of like their pose, but like also like their position in the world. Like they're yes. not very involved in like any much of anything that happens in the world. Yeah. They now represent an era that is past, and that's about it. Yes. We didn't even talk about the mechanics of this game, babe. There's so much to this game. We've only been talking about narrative, and not about how there's a 14-page GameFAQs uh, wiki uh, about how crafting works in this game. Yeah, which, by the way, I never done <laughs> uh, smithing in this game before. It uh, is. I, like, the first... The first time I found out about that, it was watching you play. I'm, <laughs> I played this game like three times. I never encountered that. Audience, the crafting in this game is insane. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's like, if you're trying to do it by yourself, like impossible. One minute long explanation of crafting in this game. You take the metal and the material you want to make your weapon or your armor. You put other stuff that you collected into it. And if it's a Tuesday, it's different than if it was an in-game Wednesday. Yes. I'm not fucking you right now. You get a different result depending on what day it is, what spirits are around because of the placement of shit. It is so obtuse and insane. I, it's incredible. One time we were crafting a weapon and we got a... So you can get like card attributes onto it, which it's like based on this like day uh, thing. But also... You can just randomly get a fairy card. Yes. Uh, like in this world, fairies just hate people. Yeah, they fucking hate goddamn guts. So if you get a fairy card, your weapon sucks. <laughs> and that can just happen. I think literally what happened is that we did it on the wrong day and my sword got uh, cursed. But if we did it the next day, it would have been like fine. Well, yeah, but also I looked it up. It can just happen in any in any day. Oh my god! Under certain parameters. Yeah, and like there's certain like materials, like like iron has like a fire innate uh, uh, element to it, but not. But if you like forge an iron sword, it's not going to be a fire sword. There's just a fire like tag that is like tagged, and now if you put anything that is like water tagged, which is of course behind the coat, like behind the screen for code, then it will be like bad for your weapon. It's insane. <laughs> 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 and you also there's magic in this game but you don't really unlock it right away instead you have to like randomly find a spirit in like any of the maps yes like literally like a five percent chance yeah and you gotta get in well actually i think you you unlock them through a quest in domina but i think that's also like Right, yeah. You, There's you like have to, a window for it. it. It's not even a window. It's you have to go back to an area that you thought was like... Because where you get Bud and Lisa, um, you have to go back there. And like, why would you go back there? There was nothing there. <laughs> yeah, I like you do that, but... And it's like a whole mini game of like trying to catch this spirit, like catching his attention. It's like it can give you their like essence. Yes, you have to play music for it. M music that you have to build instruments for. With the crafting. Yeah. And when you get to the instance, you make the instruments, and the instruments cast magic. Yes. They have the spirit in them, and then they cast the magic. And there's also, like, in these spaces where you can get the spirits, you can also get monster eggs. Right. Which... God, I forgot about the pet system this game has. <laughs> Which, like, I think is by far the hardest minigame. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but once you get it, you get, like, 
you get like a little guy uh that is like i think it's completely random like what yes. kind of like there's like kind of facts that you can get but within those sites like completely random what type of pet you can get and the egg like the guy that you get is the monsters that you fight in the world yes and you can like level them up and have them be your like player two yeah, I mean, like, for gameplay purposes, they're, like, completely useless. Very. <laughs> I had a little Among Us guy, and this guy did nothing. <laughs> but, like, you want to have a little guy. You do, you want to have a little guy. And, like, yeah, like, the gameplay... The game is very... This game is very easy, but... I mean, you want to immerse yourself into these mechanics, because... They're so weird. The game is just... Yeah, they're weird, and also they're, they're just... Like, like I said, like, the pet serves no purpose but you want to have little guys so you're gonna try and get the little guys and that in of itself is what the game's narrative is about right is is exploring this place and being in this place and seeing what this place has to offer and appreciating it for the fact that it exists at all and not for its place in a narrative yeah like that's one of the things i really liked about this game it's like this game feels like boundless not in the sense that you can do anything but in the fact that there's always something new to do. The fact that you never got the fairy ending. <laughs> yeah, I never got the fairy ending. For anybody that's played this game, I got the... Um, the Underworld ending. I don't know what it's called. The Underworld but... ending, yes. I got that one. I, I can't even imagine what that is, because, like, the fairy ending is, like... It's fucking Matilda, you know? Like, Matilda. <laughs> Matilda and her two sims. Do you want to talk about, like, not not very spoilery, but, like, the broad strokes or, like, what this sort of, like, big side quest can be like? Uh... Because we know what one... There's three. Uh, I got one, you got the other one, and we know what the third one yeah. is like. Uh, I actually think, you know, I think you and I both are like, well, that third one is, like, very basic, but because it's basic, I think that's the one that we can use to explain the best. Um... Yeah, that's the one that you can get the easiest, yes. but I never got it because I figured out that was the easiest to get, so I just got the other one. There's an asshole named Elazul who's a shithead, who has a girlfriend, and uh, he's asking around town, he's going, hey, have you seen this girl? Her name is Pearl. She looks like this. She's my girlfriend. And everybody's like, weird. I don't want to tell you where this woman is, you weirdo. And he's like, you better tell me or I'll punch your face in. Uh, and so you can help him find his girlfriend like a bad Samaritan. And, um, yeah, it's Pearl, who's great. I like Pearl, who, uh, these are, like, two members of, like, the last of, like, this jewel race, right? Who's, like, uh, yeah, who, like, Pearl is, is like, shown as to be as, like, a very princessy... Pearl's great. Oh, Combat, combat, just, like, you get her as, as like, a, <laughs> yes. as, like, a side member <laughs> for one mission, and she doesn't fight at all. Yes, and we were playing two players, so you were playing Pearl, and you didn't have any um, attacks. <laughs> you just had to run away. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, anyways, uh, and so, like, you do that one thing, you get Pearl and Elizabeth back to hang out, and you don't see them again for a while. And sometimes you might see them somewhere, and... Then you you go, oh, those guys, I'll do that quest again. I'll, I'll do their quest uh, a second time. They've got a second quest for me. So you do a quest and you escort Pearl to her tower and she f learns out that she has a secret past or whatever. Um, and then that stops. And you continue playing the game and kind of poking around these different side quests. And, like, you know, you can get an item uh, offer or an artifact for the for the world map and you place it down and that will trigger a quest that you didn't expect um there are like yes. all of these hidden triggers 
four quest lines and the way that the three quest lines are built is for you to find eventually those triggers to eventually find an ending yes we've been talking a lot about this game so like to, to close yes if you can't tell i really like this game i i love this game uh, but I also like one last thing I want to talk about is like I, when I say like this game has people in it, I mean like this is it to explain if you're a furry, but um, <laughs> like, the characters are like animal people, and like not all of them. Like so there's like some human people, but there's like a lot of animal people or like magical people, mm-hmm. right? There's like in in the first town you see the sproutlings, which are like um, <laughs> yes. Which are like little plant guys. Oh, I love these guys. You walk up to them and they go, Sproutlings don't have a soul. And you're like, okay, guy. <laughs> yeah, and, and they all apparently share one consciousness. <laughs> They're so good. I love them. Uh, you, like, I already talked about Nicola, which is like this really uh, fat cat man. Is he a cat or is he a rabbit? I think he's a rabbit. I always just thought he was a cat. I mean, he's got the cat face, right? He's got the, like, line line and the cat face, but... Yeah, I mean, he's, like, the orangest cat you've ever seen. Yeah, and he's not an orange cat, but he just is the orangest cat. Yeah, there's Tipo, who's a teapot. <laughs> yes. Who is also a woman, I think. Yes, I think I think so. I, we're not sure. Yeah, and, like, nobody says anything about Tipo, right? Nobody's saying, oh, why, what's this, um... Weird teapot, teapot person. Thing? doing here i know everybody knows depot yeah it's depot you know depot idiot new phrase and like there's like these pirates who are just like a group of penguins who are commanded by a walrus guy and they're like reoccurring there's like a lot of like characters in the game who are like reoccurring across side quests and like you mean like a lot of like this type of like you mean like a, a lot of like this um there's a variety of types of like not that's the thing about this game is that it's not like D&D races, right? They're just all people. Yeah. This is a very good game. Um, very beautiful soundtrack. I love the sprite work. Uh, lots of little weird stuff. It's just, this is a game that has like really inspired me in my creative work outside of like, st- I'm not going to talk about Artie Meyer in a fucking podcast, but like, uh, <laughs> it's really inspired me for, for stuff like that. No, yeah, I like constantly thinking about this game when I'm thinking about my own stuff. It's also very fun to play with a with a friend. Uh, go to Domina's most right. Uh, sorry, hold on. Left hand side uh, t- uh, to get uh, Bud and Lisa, which lets you just play with the second player all the time. All right, uh, number two, Citizen Sleeper. I can't talk a lot about this game, but because well, I mean about the story because you still haven't played it. But this is right. So good. I was. It was on my list. I just was going to get through it after Norco, but I also didn't finish Norco. <laughs> uh, Citizen Sleeper is a game uh, where you are a person whose consciousness was copied and uploaded to a robot body for a corporate, uh, for a sci-fi corporate mastermind, and you escaped. And unbeknownst to you, as this robot person, um, who, by the way you are not, like, you have, you you know you're the copy of this person, right? You're not the original person. The original person is sold their their own consciousness to a corporation to, like, live the good life somewhere. 
and you know that you were you who sold yourself to a corporation, and your robot body is slowly breaking down, and you need a medicine because you were robots uh, with consciousnesses uh, called. Um, it's been a while since I played it. I'm pretty sure those are the sweepers in the Citizen Sleeper. And uh, it's breaking down, planned obsolescence. You, you need medicine monthly to keep yourself alive. And there's a lot to talk about c- cyberpunk here with Maribel. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I don't really want to really go into it because it's like a whole podcast material yes. about what I think about cyberpunk. But like to give you insight about myself, I am physically disabled. And like I become very tired of the way cyberpunk talks about disability because it feels like cyberpunk often talks to an enabled audience about disability and not to a disabled audience regarding disability. This overlaps a lot with like um, transgender, with the transgender experience because cyberpunk will often be like, oh, what about trans humanity bad? Or like, oh, you're getting a a, a body implant? You're selling your body? Or like, whatever. Not really understanding that the reason why that's bad is because now a corporation or like whoever uh, owns a part of you that you can't just escape, right? We're, we're delving a little bit into the thing that you said we didn't want to delve into, which is a whole podcast worth of the cyberpunk stuff you don't want to talk about. <laughs> I just, well, shit. This um, is just, like, we can cut this bit. This is me asking you, Mary, do you want to continue with this? Um, I'll let it, I'll let it down. <laughs> but, like, there's, there's, like, an aspect of, like, cyberpunk stuff, of, like, in regards to disability, which is, it's not also just the physicality of it, but, like, the societal effects of, like, what disability means. That, that's the major bit that I know that gets you a lot. Yeah. Is not just, oh, transhumanism bad or transhumanism good and uncritical, it's, it's that bit specifically. Which is why, you know, this is important to bring up about Citizen Sleeper, because, uh, what Citizen Sleeper is very smart about doing with this setup is it allows this to be a metaphor for so many different things and not just the same metaphor that people have to use in cyberpunk because because cyberpunk is a formula now. Um, in Citizen Sleeper, you have to get medicine every month. You have to work. You, have, you, you land on a spaceship and you are slowly degrading over time. You're like becoming more numb you're you're dissociating more you're not here in this body you're more aware that your body isn't real and there's a way that that feels like depression right like that's depression (laughs) that that is limiting you and you have less like physical ability to get up in the morning you have less dice to roll in the day um and you need your medicine to continue but it's also just like the energy that disability takes from you or, or you know, capitalism that takes from you, right? There's, there's a ton of uh, metaphors for one person to see themselves within this immediate thing, which is like, it, it, it's so for an audience that it doesn't feel like it limits away an audience to me. Yeah, and like, there's this thing I think about, like, a lot of, like, Siren by Media is that very much of the, of its time in like the future they're talking about is our present right yes. do you think like citizen sleeper 
it's talking about the present or about a near future or do you think it's doing both? Uh, that's the hard bit is because I feel like sci-fi has always been about the present. It just extrapolates it out to a future and then that future has become our present. Yeah, but like I can, I can pin. <laughs> they're gonna get people really mad at me. But I, I can pinpoint like, for example, like Ghost in the Shell is very much talking about the advent of the internet. Yes. Um, and what effect that's gonna have, but we are in that era, yes. and so watching Ghost of the Shell now isn't gonna have the same effects as it once did when it came out. Yes, um, that I can agree with. I, you and I have differing opinions on Ghost in the Shell, but that I can agree with. I like it. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I'm trying to <laughs> walk with actions here. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, so the game, uh, so that's like the first thing I need to get out, like to say and uh, present. It's important for like this conversation about Citizen Sleeper um, because, oh, you asked me a question, actually. That's what it was. So I'm going to give a little bit of time for that to be cut. All right. You said, uh, is this a sci-fi thing, a cyberpunk thing that focuses on the present or the future? Um, I think it's very much about the the. It, it's it is using a future setting to tell a, uh, a story about capitalism in not even just capitalism the, the the effects of a structure an oppressive structure that hurts uh basically what i'm asking is like do you see this game like holding up in like 10 or 20 years yes i think so because it is much less about the active you know how my issue with hard space shipbreaker was that part of this game felt like a satirical comedy about you know how bad corporations co corporates are and how good the people are um is like treated with like realness that it felt very flat um citizen sleeper doesn't even have the corporate part it only has the effects of what is done what it has done to you you are you wake up in a fucking shipping box uh as as scrap and you turned out to actually be alive and you are given a place to stay by a a, a ship worker a salvage worker who you know ships uh, brings up like wreckage of ships and cuts out the uh the stuff that he can sell and he gives you a shipping crate to sleep in but only for one week because after that you know he only has so much patience and you have to go into the city and meet people. This is a game about the people and the social around you. There is a bar that you go in there and you don't have money. And they say, hey, I can't serve you if you don't have money. But I can, bartender set, looks at you and says, I can give you a part-time job, I guess. And eventually, you're, you know, you build a friendship and talk to her enough that she goes, yeah, you know what? If you need like a warm stove, like come on over and I can feed you, right? It's about it's about moments like that. You you find a doctor who is not supposed to be selling the medications that you need, and she says, "Well, I can, but it's expensive, and like to do this through the official cha channels, it's expensive, and I need money to do it. And I'm sorry, I wish I could give you some, um, but you need money." and you have to go and f work and find money somewhere and you meet people um my specific storyline was i saw that they were hiring down at the um uh they were like building a spaceship on this on this like satellite um mm -hmm. and so i went there and i started building uh i basically didn't interact with any of the 
people who like oversee the work, though I always interacted with the systems. Um, I had to sign up for work and that was using lots of dice of my dice pool because it takes lots of energy to even sign up for work and you don't have the energy to continue to do other stuff after that. Yeah. And then <laughs> you go there and you have to go there every day to see if you got the job and that itself takes energy. Um, and then you get the job and maybe you didn't get the job or maybe the maybe you got the job and the very nice family that you met that needs the job better than you didn't get the job. What are you to do? Yeah. And yeah. do you talk to them? Do you hang, do you give them your job ticket that you got? What do you do? This is what this game is. Um, it also, right. you're saying it's, it's talking about like the realities of like multi society and the structures of capitalism. Yes. Uh, and, and which like everybody's living and we probably still be living in, 10 to 20 years in the future um unfortunately <laughs> uh yes but it, the systems like the mechanics and the uh the like the, the actual talking with other people with this gorgeous art um just beautiful art and very nice like ambiance music beautiful like like uh map uh which hey you could scroll the map um If you didn't, hmm? for example, spend a whole week not knowing that you could scroll the map in game like maybe somebody on this podcast did. Oh, oh no. <laughs> you could scroll the map. <laughs> how, how critical was that? Uh, it, I had a couple of extra hard days, but it actually wasn't incredible. Because there was stuff that I could do um, that, like, I was working at the bar and I was... Um, Like, t I was able to get into town to talk to the lady about my medicine, uh, which was, like, the main critical thing. So, it, you know. Th then, like, th an event happened, and it, like, scrolled my thing for me away, and that's how I learned, wait, there's more to the space station? <laughs> it's not like things will pop up over time on this map. There's just more to this map. But that was just a Victoria mess-up. Um, mm. But it's a beautiful game. My specific storyline was about the living in the structure. Right, uh, but I know that there are other storylines in this game about trying to find ways to live around it, try to trying to find ways to break through it. Um, what do you like? There's a there, there's a whole transhumanism like narrative in this game that I didn't touch. Um, with like like you're able to, because you're like in a robot body, you're able to like hack into the mainframe, and like as you do that, like there's like another guy who's like in a vending machine and and you know he starts talking about how like you know being human is not the only thing that you have to be but it's also like very hard to be something else right there's a whole transhumanism narrative there i didn't touch um i was like well i'm like i'm dating this really cute guy and his and and like helping him and his daughter like i'm i this is what i'm caring about now But uh, it's there if you want to touch it on uh, touch on it, and that's another thing is that it's always there for you to touch on if you want. Just like how there's a, all of these different um, metaphors you can work with your character and the setup. There's a bunch of you may you know some one person may not like a transhumanism like discarding of my body narrative. There are people who do. Yeah, um, there yeah, yeah. may not be people who like 
you know, um, my story, which is I suffer underneath capitalism until I die, but the people around me are st still make it worth living. This is something that's like big for me, but like somebody's like, well, you know, I do that in my real life. Why do I want to play a game where that's the thing? And so they can do another one of the narratives if they want. Um, right. You you can you can pick like what you're interested in exploring in this yeah. game. Right. There's not as much of a time limit as it feels like there is ever. Um, there is one. Like there is the game gets harder, but it's it's not as bad as the game makes it feel like it is, which is like good it's good because it makes you want to continue uh this is a game where you are on the edge of your seat with like a certain kind of stress and i love games like that you're on the edge of your seat with a certain kind of stress but like that stress is like i don't know if like my friend can make rent and i just found an apartment and uh i'm gonna use some of my food to feed the cat that isn't ever gonna give me anything but i'm able to like see if this cat eats my food the stray cat eats my food and you know why if i'm struggling with food and if my friend is struggling with rent why can't i give this cat some food right some yeah I, I like that i love it i love this game I truly love this game yeah I, I really i really hope to play it eventually because i i see it does like address the things i complain a little bit about that about cyberpunk it has like a little bit of flavor for everybody uh, so like if i want something out of it from one dude telling me i'm gonna get it uh, but even though, I mean, I, I, I think calling Cyberpunk a genre, personally, I think it's fraud because um, I think what a genre is is not like a, a, bad, a set of markers that you can tick off. I think a genre is m m way more than that. And Cyberpunk to me just feels like a bunch of markers that yeah. you can sort of like, you have the neon lights, the dilapidated futuristic look. Um, Cyberpunk more than its writing hooks, what it's remembered for is its aesthetics. Yeah, that is true. And from what you're telling me, what this game is does is more about the narrative hooks of Cyberpunk than the aestheticization of it. Yes, I yeah, I just love Citizen Sleeper. Um, I don't know if this is like how it is on every ending, and I won't spoil my ending, but there's a moment where I'm about to finish the game and it gives me an option where it says, are you sure? And I had to like stop and get up and walk around for a bit because I wasn't, I wasn't sure. And hmm. I thought I was, and then it gave me the option and I had to think about it. It was a very good moment that will stick with me. I loved that moment. Because <laughs> um, I got what I, because I got what I wanted. But... Did I have to come? It's just, it was a good moment. I, I loved it. So that's my number two is Citizen Sleeper. Very good game. So your number two. My number two. I was debating about what should I have for number two and what should I have for number one, but I think I'm going to put for number two Tactics Ogre Reborn. All right. I'm a huge fan of strategy games. And tactics games are like a subgenre of that. If you ever heard of Final Fantasy Tactics, uh, Tactics Ogre is like uh, Final Fantasy Tactics Dead. Tactics <laughs> uh, Ogre is a game, game that came out in 1995 for the SNES. And very much the beginning of like this type of tactics games, uh, which is like a turn based, really bad display this, but uh, I think if you Google like Final Fantasy Tactics or like 
Tactitogger and you see like the isometric diorama look that he has. Uh, you definitely seen like seen games that look like this before, like this guy uh, or um, Fire Emblem's top down, but it's the same thing. Yeah, Fire Emblem is like similar to it. I like I know you have been avoiding saying <laughs> Fire Emblem there because it is different, but yeah, and Tactitogger is is was made by a group of people that. Like I already said, they went on to make Final Fantasy Tactics. Uh, they made uh, that the bands. They made Final Fantasy Twelve. Um, they made like what's known as the Ivalis world. I love the Ivalis games, <laughs> like incredibly, because of the way it talks about the world and how the characters in that world um, are actors in it. And that sort of is very much the originator, also with Ogre Battle, which is the part of the series series of like this type of narrative for the dev team. The way it begins is that you're you're like a resistance fighter called Denan Pavel. Um, you're like this. Uh, the story of this game is there was a war in this island between the between the people like the cultural people that live in this island. Uh, there's the Galgastani who are like the majority population of this island. Uh, there's the Bakram, which are like mostly composed of like nobles that live in this like like the capital region of, of the of the island and then there's the Wallister who are like the they, they very much say like the Wallister are like one in ten uh, population in this in this island who live like uh, who used to live like one half of the island and and through the war between the Galgastani and the Wallister they were like segregated to this one smaller island. I want to clarify that when what this game talks about like cultures, they're not uh, this like confirmed by the devs also. They're not talking about ethnicity. They're talking about like cultural, like culture. Yeah, cultural groups. Like yeah, I get you. Yeah, like this more like French versus Italians than it is uh, more than it is like any sort of cultural conflict that could have like any like racial motivation behind it, right? So it has like this division of like what what constitutes culture and like the game to be like to be fair like the game never like really shows you what these like cultural differences are which I think is what the game wants to say right like even if like like cultural difference like people are people so during this in this smaller island where the Wallister were segregated off and you become like a resistant fighting force against the Galgastani who are like ruling to above you and like oppressing you right right. Um, and like as the game goes on, you get like you gain like the advantage in the war, and you free like your leader, who's like who's like a duke, who's like Wallister and, and represents like your people. Like it's, and now you work for him and you do jobs for him. And there's like a pivotal moment in the game where you're forced to make a choice, mm-hmm. and you basically what you're choosing is like, do you wanna fight for your people or do you wanna fight for what's right? I have a question. Uh, this, like, I, I, I bet while playing the game, this is really good, right? You talked about how you really enjoy, like, the in-depth worlds and, uh, like, the characters that feel like a part of the world and the way that they react because they are a part of the world. Uh, but uh, what about this game really speaks to you outside of that? Uh, what differences this to a, you know, I'm going to be incredibly reductive for the point of you getting mad, what is the difference between Tactics Ogre and a Fire Emblem? Like, what's actually the difference? In Fire in Fire Emblem, I'm fighting with a resistance against a war uh, lord? Uh, yes, that's a good point. Um, so, the difference between this and Fire Emblem is that Fire Emblem, 
it's very romanticized like romanticizes a lot of like what a liberation war is like like it's very much oh the rifle prince um he grabs the sword and uh, like the legendary sword of the of the kingdom and leads a force against the evil guys and he triumphs and he's coronated as, as the as the good king and uh he's gonna be a good king forever <laughs> right yep because because as we all know kings never die and give their crown to uh, a prince who perhaps maybe is worse yeah this game like very much like <laughs> at the, at, in the outset is like uh there was a king that united all the people and it was a prosperous time but then this king died and had no no heirs and so it's like and now the people are fighting again <laughs> right um this game very much goes and I'll, I hate to say this because I I hate uh, the label, but I think it's worth saying. This game's like very um, realistic, <laughs> like how the world is and how society is and war is. Yes, I too move one uh, one square forward and then turn around with my sword. <laughs> but like um, going back to like the choice you had to make. Um, you would see other games made you do this choice, but the new ones with which this game watch you to decide that decision. I seen very many people that were like actually don't know what to, what to pick because even though there's like a very easy moral decision, the characters are very much like we're on like an oppressed people, and if we don't do this, uh, we're gonna keep being beaten down and oppressed forever, right? Right. And then there's like a lot of things you can say like. Oh, if if but if we decide to do this, like, oh, let me phrase this correctly. I don't want to be like, oh, can we rest part of them? Because I don't know what the game is saying. No, no, it's like um, there is there is a worthwhile difference between if we fight back against our oppressors, are we bad as them, or like there is an act of violence done by war on ourselves when we do war, right? Like you hurt. Yeah, are, are, like are we not? It's like if we do this, and we, are we like revisiting, revisiting the horrors of war that were inflicted to us uh, back in a way that will not be excusable to us, right? Yeah, there is. There, will the cycle continue after this? Yeah, very much what, to what I was saying. Like you can like unify people and become a king, but uh, the conflicts will persist, right? Yes, you're not solving the societal problems that that exist just because you're doing this one thing, and that's like. From chapters one to three, that's what the game is most is like most of the time. Uh, it has like these really poignant moments and like choices that you have to ask yourself and how you want to face it. Um, are you really solving this conflict or are you just resolving this particular uh, conflict just so you can come out on top, or do you think you're mm-hmm. really fitting issues right through the war? And like once you get to chapter four, uh, which is like the game has like different routes, right? There's like law, neutral, chaos. I, for the listeners, if if any has played this game, I got the chaos route. I did not know this had like an SMT fucking alignment route. The difference is like this game is <laughs> good. <laughs> I'm gonna be mean for a second, but unlike SMT, I think this game has like a more nuanced concept of like law, chaos, and and neutrality. That. That's interesting because I, I I would have felt, maybe you've been saving this for the podcast, but I would have felt like you would have brought that up to me. Um, I Because this is just the first time I've heard about these this like separate types of routes. Think of 
this game's concept of law and chaos as close to what like DND is than what it is in SMT, right? Well, what our specific group consider what DND is. Well, law is more like person who obeys authority and likes to be part of like a system. A system. Yes. Chaos is somebody who values freedom about everything else, but not not in the sense of like it's it's not like SMT where it's what if I wanted to kill a guy, huh? Yeah, it's not like it's not evil. It's a thing. It's just like I want to be able to express myself and be who I want to be without anybody telling me I can't be, right? When you get to chapter 4, chapter 4 is in broad strokes is the same regardless of what route you got. Chapter 2 and 3 are different based on what route you got. But once you get to chapter 4, uh, you already, you like the leader of the resistance and you're like ready to put the whole of Valeria, which is the island, the whole of Valeria under one unified rule, right? And this is when the game becomes like the usual uh, liberation story of like the hero goes and unifies uh, the country, right? But I think what's different here is that this game had chapter 1 to 3 to explain you the lens of which you would have to be an- to be analyzing this game, right? Mm, um, there it is. There it is. Yes. Okay. Now I understand why you like this game so much. Um, there's certain games, which I won't name the names of right now, who want to have it both ways, where like they want to be like very progressive and like they want to pretend they're in the side of like revolution and freedom, but then they also go the other way and, and reivindicate um, the status quo and imperialism in some oh ways. Oh boy, I wonder what game you're talking about. I wonder what it is, the game that you're talking about that you won't say to this podcast that is probably just like split between our friends. I wonder what game it is that's going to be talked about. Maybe maybe a game that's very inspired by this game. Um, <laughs> but Tactics Ogre first it presents you the vision of the depths of what, of what they want this game to be and the lens of which and it gives you the tools to which analyze the game later, right? Yes, it wants, it yes. wants you to think, are we really doing the right thing? Uh, is this, it, it didn't work out for that guy. Why will it work out for us, right? The previous king did what, was, what we were doing, and then he died, and then the people like were split again. It wants you to ask those things as you play the game. And what I, I, like, what I like is that the game, I don't feel like there's very many games that provide you the lens to which you should be analyzing it. With, right yes so throughout a lot of your explanation i was thinking in what ways like i know that you enjoy it when a game uh has characters in the world who like talk through the world but there's a lot of games that do that what is this like i know that you also have like a very particularly uh you explicit you explicitly named like ivelisse here and like anything that is like resembling this type of fantasy you enjoy um but i was like i was thinking i was like there what is what is it here that Mary enjoys that she can't find in like another like like a war movie, right? Because like th- these things exist. These stories about oppressed people fighting back against the the kingdom who has fought them to a standstill. This is a story repeated again and again throughout time, mm-hmm. all the time. Uh, but I think that's ex- when when you said that the first three chapters of this game create a lens to tell the story uh analyze the story through um suddenly it all clicked into place because i think uh i think games that teach you the way to read it 
are like you know it, it's something very special when you you see a game that who do, that does that very well yeah i also want to say like the game doesn't feel like very patronizing in how it does it either it's like saying telling you oh this is how we want you to see it it's like it presents you things and it they just come into your mind like naturally because yes <laughs> unlike you know there's a game out there that i that we both love very much i name dropped it earlier actually umineko we love it to death it teaches you how to read it they also drill it into your fucking mind to 10 times yeah because it is so desperate for you to understand how to read it <laughs> so battler repeats it 50 times <laughs> <laughs> but there's like a purpose for it, so you don't feel like. Anyway, we're not talking about you. Yes. Um, not not this time. Um, I haven't talked about the gameplay. No. Uh, and I do want to talk about the gameplay because it's like. Okay, can it can it be a little quick? <laughs> yeah, it's like the other half of the game that I really enjoy. Um, uh, because if you think about tactics games, uh, say your Fire Emblem, uh, as this in example, thank you for bringing it up. Fire Emblem, it's very much like you get attached attached to your. To your guys and you play with those guys like the whole game and you make them into the strongest guys you've ever seen right very much building up these super units yeah and need like it gives you serotonin that way but the counterplay to that is that like the game loses strategy as you get more overpowered units right mm-hmm. because you're not thinking anymore about how do i place these units what part of the map is more approachable or like what enemies you like be trying to kill because your guys are so strong it doesn't matter right mm-hmm. there's like good versions of this game like i very much like how final fantasy tactics advanced does that but we're not talking about the game <laughs> <laughs> tactics ogre does something that's completely different which is that it wants you to think about your reach as chess pieces but it doesn't remove the agency that they have right uh, each character be named or a custom character, they fulfill a function that another unit cannot fulfill. Mm-hmm. Right. And what is it about Tactics Ogre? Because like what you're saying is just like what all tra- Tactics game has. What is it about Tactics Ogre that this is something that you want to bring up here? Well, I bring it up because like this game doesn't have super units. You're never going to have a unit that's way overpowered over the other, right? Mm-hmm. Even then, a super protagonist could, like gets given like the strongest class in the whole game in this unit cannot clear by themselves you need like more th- your whole units to yeah to do things and you end up making formations out of like these different classes right and also something that you learn in the game is like there's different things and mechanics that become relevant at different points in the game that you start learning how to take advantage of them as the game goes on. Right, I think sure. the game could afford to te- to give you tutorials when they be- start become more relevant instead of like giving them to you all at once. But the breadth of gameplay of this game is like so vast. Mm-hmm. Like the density is it's a it's a dense game and they become important. Like the flow of the game, how you play it changes throughout the game. Yes. Two questions. So one, you're saying that the reason you like this more instead of the super unit stuff, the reason why you really like this in Tactics Ogre, is that you feel like as you choose a unit that you feel more strategically like advantageous as you choose these units for specific purposes rather than because they're guys you like and have been training a lot. Hmm. Two is their permadeath. If you lose a unit, what happens? Yes, there's like a... So there is permadeath in this game, but you're most likely never going to encounter it because so when a unit faints on the battlefield, they get like a counter above their head. Okay. So they get a counter above their head that takes down that three 
to one, and once it reaches zero, they die. But you yeah, can that's not, nothing like D and D, but it's easily understandable. Yeah, but you can revive them with with items or with a spe- with a spell. Sure, I was asking because the way but, that like uh, let me let me there's there's a, for people that are gonna play this game, you need to know this. There's a point in the game where the maps are gonna have like empty spaces on them, and it's not like the borders, which are like the borders of like the map. I mean like empty holes that are very clearly pits on the map, right? If a character gets pushed into that emptiness, they die. <laughs> so make sure you keep that in mind <laughs> when you play this game. Um, I was asking because uh, when you were talking about the way that this is like a chess game, part of that play is like sacrificing pieces to allow like further movement like uh, in forward in the game. So like that was my, my question. Well, I um, mean, but we've but, been talking about. But also, you can have them at that last spade and have them be incapacitated. And once the fight is over, you they still they're still alive. Yes, that's why I asked. Uh, also, there's like something, for example, to, to explain the bread of like what this thing kind of like. You can re- like there are undead characters, right? And you will think these are just like enemy only units, but you can you can recruit them or you can turn units into undead units and you can use them as like I use you can put up against the enemy to disrupt their files and have them be bothered with something while you get your in position right there's like a lot of things you can do tactically in this game do they die what happens when they die well they get the counter but once it goes down to zero they revive again all right yes that's perfect that is a perfect explanation for for this stuff I, I like that well shall we move on to both of our number ones yes because I don't have much time I wonder what took that time. <laughs> it's Dwarf Fortress is number one. Oh, Dwarf Fortress is also my number one. Yeah, no, of course. You didn't bring it up yet. I figured you would. It's my number one. It's your number yeah, one. Yeah, who had thought that Dwarf Fortress is best game of the year uh, for the 22nd yeah, wow. year in a row? <laughs> um, so this is a game. This is a colony sim game where you're a dwarf and you build. If you don't know what Dwarf Fortress is, do like a little bit of Googling. <laughs> like I, it is a prevalent game that in culture. <laughs> uh, it's a quality sim, you're dwarves, you live underground and there's people, the, the dwarves die in silly ways. Um, and you learn as uh, about the game as you go on. Like people who are listening to this podcast know what video games are, right? So we don't have to- No, uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> explain what a colony sim is but maybe um, you want to say like it's a temple game to compare it to yes yes that is where my talking point for dwarf fortress is which is i come from a history of colony sim games specifically one that i liked a lot but have had like ideological issues with is rimworld i have played something like 200 hours of rimworld i love rimworld uh, it is just Dwarf Fortress. <laughs> um, the thing about Rimworld is, I guess what I should say, is the thing about Dwarf Fortress, the game we're actually talking mm. about, is uh, this, uh, you know, all of your dwarves have very specific traits and uh, personalities, and, like, you have to assign jobs, right? You have to have a miner going to get... Uh, to open, like, you know, you have to make bedrooms for your guys, so you have a miner make bedrooms for your guys, and mine out mine out a bedroom, and you have a constructor who is building beds for your guys, um, and once you, like, are back up on your feet, you can start mining for gems and craft as you, uh, like, get people from other colonies come in, and you trade with them, and learn more about the world, yes. and the thing about Dwarf Fortress that I love 
is that it, it encourages, at least to me, and I I, I want to hear your your specific because you come from like playing Dwarf Fortress before, mm-hmm. um, and are like have seen parts of that community that I just haven't because I this is my first time playing this game this year. Is the systems of the game feel like it wants you to make a society for your dwarves where everybody is happy, and yet people are so mean to their dwarvies. Yes, um, it's funny because um, you could say that there are games like, for example, Crusader Kings or like Civilization, which very much have you play as like shitty people, but like purposefully because you're in a position of power that requires you to act like shitty people, right? And it's the only way the game yes. provides you. The game provides you tools to which fulfill those ends, which are innately shitty. But yes, it makes sense because. Like, Crusader King's diplomacy is literally no different from war. Yeah, because that that's who the game wants you to experience the game as. Dwarf Fortress? Yes. Not really. The game wants you to experience the game the way you want to experience it. And there's no, there's no one way to do something or how to solve it, right? So if you want to get food, you can gather plants, you can farm, or you can hunt animals, right? Sure. You can also raid people, right? You can get yourself involved with the world and cause problems on purpose. But that's something you're choosing to do because you can just not interact with the raid mechanic at all if you don't want to, right? Mm -hmm. But also the dwarves have needs and wants, just like you and I do. One thing you're going to encounter really quickly is that the dwarves get thirsty and they want to sleep in a bed and they want to pray to their god. And you can fulfill those needs like fairly easily because they're like the the year one challenges of the game, let's say. But then there's like other problems, right? Um, maybe your dwarf gets depressed because they can't do a craft that they want to make, and it's hard to do that because they either don't have that skill or they could get in a, in a mood which it's a whole thing that you don't have the materials and they, and they get depressed or maybe they want to have a family which the game is going to display to you as this dwarf is sad because they, can, they can't spend time with family and I want you to tell me how would you address that problem well very clearly this person doesn't have any family it's some sort of bug in the game we should probably because they're sad now and an unproductive member of the society we should draft them into the military or throw them into the lava clearly these are our only options. If you google any sort of problem that Dwarf Fortress has, if it involves dwarves, the number one response is uh, just trying to do level all. And like, but how do you solve this problem? Yeah, I would rather do something else. I wanted to solve this problem because it's a problem that also happens in real life. I would like to know how to solve it, right? <laughs> if I get thirsty and, and like that's uh, like an eat and need meeting, right? Right. So how do you solve spend time with family if you don't if this dwarf doesn't seem to have a family. Yeah, and that's the thing, like, the game is not really gonna tell you, and it's really, this this game doesn't let you move your dwarves, right? You can't choose a dwarf and right. say, go here, or, like, do this. Unlike RimWorld, where you can right-click and force them to do a thing. Yeah, the dwarves will do what they want to do. The only thing you can do is give them directions, and if they're happy, they're gonna do it. If they're not, they're gonna do whatever they want. If a dwarf wants to have family, the best you can do is have them hang around people that like to be around, right? You know, and, like, have relationships and conversations with their fellow people. Yeah, and, and naturally, across time, that dwarf will fall in love with somebody, and they're gonna have a family. 
and suddenly they have a family and that need is met. But you can't really go say, I want this dwarf to marry this person. Because just like if you were, let's say, a person in a managerial position in real life, you can just go tell somebody, hey, marry this person. Right. <laughs> what, you're, what you're touching on here is something that I truly love about Dwarf Fortress, which is uh, you create systems to allow your dwarves the space for... If you're doing things, at least in my opinion, correctly... You are giving, you are creating systems to give them space and like ease to not be constantly working and efficient, and allowing them to do the stuff they want to do, and this allows them to be happier. Insane, right? Yeah. Uh, you you create a system, you create a society that helps and uplifts the others because that's. A way that you can do it. You can do that. And also, like, the game, it's not like the game doesn't tell you what dwarves want. Like, you go to the <laughs> list of dwarves, you check the ones that are unhappy, it puts, it puts a tab up on you that has, like, all the stats of the dwarves, and there's like, a table that very clearly says unmet needs, and it tells you which ones these are. Yes. In Rimworld, uh, a lot of the pleasure of the game was figuring out peak efficiency, like clockwork, where you set the guys that you get to, like, perfect like oh i want my constructor to do construction at priority one um but his tree chopping will be like priority three and then his you know this will be priority two and then all the best the stuff that you can do is you zoom out you let the play the game play and you like right click for when you need to intervene and dwarf fortress says that is horrible (laughs) yeah and like like i want to say like it's not like Dark Fortress doesn't have like that way to, of addressing things. Like it very much gives you all these ways to to address it. And like being cruel is an option, yes. but like you're choosing to do to, to do that, right? Yeah. And like often, if you choose to do that, you're the dwarf are gonna get sad also because they saw somebody that they know die. Yes. And it's just gonna cause them to spiral. <laughs> um. Today I was watching a stream where two people, one person who's played Dwarf Fortress and one person who's played only a very little bit of it, play a game. And the person who was, like, streaming the game, who's played it a bunch, just, like, let their dwarves sleep on the floor and not have them, like, a bedroom or dormitory for, like, weeks. And the other person was like, give them beds! They're, like, embarrassed around each other because they're sleeping on, like, cavern floor. And you're, like, setting up a mine before that. And I was like, why wouldn't you let them give beds? Yeah. <laughs> you let them have beds and they'd be happy and they do the stuff better. I just want to say we're talking a lot about like what are our complaints about people who play this game and not too much about what the game is like. <laughs> I do want to say the reason this game is so high is like every new game you make is 100% going to be different to, to the last one. When you start... First it generates the world, and then it generates the story of the world. Like, literally... It... Yeah, it's like a chronicle that tells you, like, major events in the yeah. world. And you might think this is all fluff, right? Because, like, oh, human hero retrieves an artifact from, like, this settlement. And it's like, okay, okay. And you might think it's, like, all fluff. And, like, it kind of is, but then you realize, like, all of these things exist in the world, and they happen. Yes. And you get updates on them as the tr- uh, couriers go on through... There's, there are, like, four mythical beasts in this game. (laughs) And, like, a dragon can, like, kill an entire civilization during story creation. There can be, I I saw 
uh, somebody who had no humans in their game because a <laughs> dragon attacked a, uh, a, a human civilization early on in generation and just wiped out all humans. This game has a, a reclaim feature, which is like you go to, you choose to reclaim a, a ruined settlement. And I was wondering, huh, I wonder why this place is ruined. Then I went there and like five minutes pass and like a huge spider emerged from the caves and killed all my dwarves. <laughs> <laughs> oh, let me tell me. Let me tell the people about the where is your story. In one of my games, I had I went up to like one hundred and seventy something dwarves, or like people because I have like a lot of humans and elves also. Um, because if you have a tavern, people will come to your tavern if you enable it because you can have it set to only dwarves. But I have it open to everybody. And so, like, humans and elves came into my place, and eventually, they, if they like the place, they will ask to join you. But that's not important right now. What's important is that random people will come to your place. And, like, it's nice, because you meet, like, humans and elves, and sometimes, like, name people in, like, the, in, like, the history. There are goblins that come to your place, too, which, like, goblins are, like, they want you, like, they want you to believe they're, like, wholly evil, but, like, there's, like, a, there's, like, a lot of, like, really, like, nice goblins. <laughs> Yeah, it's only specific tribes that are hostile, and then there are specific tribes that are not. Well, I don't know about that, but let's say let's say that yes. Not well, not not specific, but like if you're on the map, you can see sometimes goblins will not be hostile. It will say goblins, and then it won't say hostile. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and like there are times like also there's one time I go like a like an anthropomorphized Hatsolotl person who was a, a who was part of a mob, <laughs> uh, and he was like. It will, it will have really, really cool. You will get people like that coming into your place and you will learn about them. But one time, it was during a full moon that somebody in my tavern happened to be a were-shrew. And so in the middle of my tavern, somebody became a, a beast and started inviting people. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> and a couple people died. And I was like, oh, well, at least it's done now that the full moon is gone and I can say, hey, Get out of here. <laughs> we don't want you here. <laughs> but then the next full moon came. Um, every single person that was beaten, I was alive, turned into a worshiper. <laughs> and then, because it was so many people, I couldn't stop that from happening. And basically, my whole settlement died because I wasn't aware that you just don't, you just can't let random motherfuckers come into your tavern. <laughs> My favorite one of these is I had a guy on hunting because I had like a more close to, close to land uh, place in like the fairy forest uh, region, and my hunter attacked a unicorn, <laughs> and I was like, whoa, 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 what's going on here? And I check him. He was a, he had a crossbow and he had bolts and like I know about the bug where like the crossbow bolts won't work if you, they are equipped it for military but that's for military they do work if they're equipped for hunting um, and the guy was he was shooting crossbow bolts at like a fucking what are those called like wuffly flumps or whatever um, anyways he killed one of those and then he moved on to a killing a unicorn I don't know what you're talking about they're like these like cotton ball guys okay um, and then. Uh, yeah, he started attacking a unicorn with his, like, nails and teeth and was trying to eat the unicorn. And I was like, whoa, dude, what's happening here? And eventually he fucking killed it because the unicorn was like, dude, stop. And it, like, kept running away but was, like, hurt enough that it just, like, kept limping. Um, and he eventually killed it and brought it home. And I guess I made some crafts out of unicorn horn. 
Um, anyways, every year after that, a swarm of unicorns will come by in spring and kill a bunch of guys because I attacked a <laughs> unicorn. <laughs> So I had to, like, make, a, like, during winter, I had to make, like, uh, like an anti-unicorn force. That's funny. <laughs> Every winter. <laughs> Dude, you also had that problem with, like, like a group of giant mandrels that were also attacking you. Yes, every, the every same season, place, too. It, it, wasn't, it wasn't because you were doing it to them, but that's because you were in their migration path. <laughs> no! Yeah, I was in their migration path, and so they stole my bees or punched a guy sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, I, I had a burrow set up for, like, oh, God, the mandrill uh, hi hibernation is through. Everybody go inside for two days. <laughs> and that's the other thing, like, the world is going to be generated, but there's, like, a lot of things that are also generated in this world that aren't really clear right away. Like, that giant mandrill migration path was set that's what they could go through in that area in a specific place. But like, there's no way you will know that, right? You could go into other places and do other things. <laughs> right. It said the wild, the wilds around me were serene. <laughs> and I'm being attacked by fucking mandrills and unicorns. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, I play Dwarf Fortress on easy mode. This is my first time. Anyways, very good game. Yeah, we could go forever, but... Uh, the reason I was bringing up RimWorld before is that RimWorld is, like, so cruel. All of its interactions are... The fact that I was... I, you could turn another person into human leather and make chairs out of it and sell it for, like, a huge profit in that game. This is the joke, right? In Dwarf Fortress, you have throw them into lava. In RimWorld, it's become a slaver and, like, skin people alive. Uh, is the online joke about, like, isn't this how fucked up this game can be? But, like, that's how cruel that game is. That game's language is that you are of an advanced civilization who came onto, like, a tribal planet and have better stuff than everybody and uh, make your colony here. Yeah, like, for example, like, Dwarf Fortress also, if, you, if somebody dies, you have to memorialize this person. You either make a slab or you make a coffin, and you have to you <laughs> yeah. have to care for this person way after their death. Because if you don't, yes, there's gonna be a ghost of this person that's gonna haunt your words forever until you do that. Yes, and I, lo I love the ghosts. It's very good. Because they're not even, like, they're not actively malicious, at least the ones that I've seen. They're, like, they're playful. They, they try to, you know, they drop things on people's heads or they scare them. And, it, you know, it becomes a problem and you have to put them away. But, yeah, it's, it's very good. RimWorld Rim I like a lot. I think uh, the, the game is, like, way more open for people. <laughs> it's way easier to understand what's going on than <laughs> uh, uh, Dwarf Fortress. But, you know... It's just so mean, and Dwarf Fortress feels so... Not not unmean, right? It can get pretty dark. There could be some messed up stuff that happens in Dwarf Fortress. But, like, you know, a real talk here a little bit. A guy's wife had a miscarriage, and he had, like, he got two... Like, he got the you-start-to-see-beauty-in-the-world-after-your-unborn-child's-death trait. Because he realized that after his, after he thought he was going to have a kid and it didn't work out, he thought, you know, this world needs more beauty in it. And, you know, I, I need to see the world in, a, in an uplifting way as to not fall into despair. And it makes me appreciate the people that I've got with me now. Yeah. And it's like, 
you'll never get that in RimWorld. <laughs> yeah, in Dark Fortress, people are there's each dwarf is an individual who has a, a, a history and a life, and you kind of have to care about that because if you don't, you're just gonna there's, like there's consequences that do not caring about that stuff. Yeah. And it's so hard because in games when people say, oh, these are characters with, like, fully fleshed out lives, what they mean is that they're maybe, like, well-written two-dimensional characters because of the state of, like, character writing in in games. Like, we talked today about, like, loving archetypical character tropes. Um, And so it gets hard, it gets easy to overlook the statement of these people have full lives. No, we mean that sometimes these people go, oh, man, I don't, I just don't like this specific chair. Right. <laughs> or they go, man, my bedroom, it's been fine for a while, but I wish I had a little something on the walls. Or, or you know, they, they just peek their people. Anyways, we've been going on for this, but this is where... Um, I knew that we would talk a while. This is actually why I really was like, "Yeah, this is important to, yeah, to no. both of us." This is the thing about when we wanted to start this podcast. We really have a lot, a lot of thoughts. I like they mostly just stayed in Discord, um, but I like we could talk way more. But we don't want to have like a three-hour podcast. <laughs> yes, mm, bad news. But mostly, <laughs> uh, I want like we wanted you out to first like experience what is. Because we hear like we hear like a lot of friends be like, oh, we would love to um, hear you talk about random stuff, and so we're doing it. But uh, I hope you also know like where where we stand in like our tastes. Like at least I hope so. <laughs> we talk about cap- like couple things we like, couple things we don't like, um, and so I hope that makes you excited for what we can make in the future, right? Absolutely. I, I mean, yeah, and and. Uh, going forward, this is going to be less of a, like, retrospective of the year because this is our first episode and just kind of a tastemaker, and this will be, like, what we've been doing, the stuff that we've been up to in the month, and specifically, like, plans that we have for that stuff um, that I'm excited to do. Also, because this is a monthly podcast, I looked online about, like, hey, what comes in 12s um, because, to help me name this podcast? Did you know that... I got, I got, I got donuts come in 12s and I got condoms come in 12s, which I didn't know about. <laughs> Me neither. So I guess we should call ourselves donut in condoms or something. Uh, well, now you're stealing my jokes. <laughs> I, yep, this is a joke that I'm stealing from, uh, two months ago. <laughs> well, it's still unclear if we're gonna name it that, but we're still thinking. <laughs> no, we're not naming it that because it has to go on Spotify. Uh, and it has a bad, it has a bad vibe. Sure. Um, well, we should think about wrapping this up. Um, I don't really do anything. <laughs> I'm on Twitter, I guess, some days. Uh, I don't really post it much, that much anymore. Uh, maybe one day I'll start posting again. But if you need to follow me anywhere, um, go to uh, back lo- back lovers only on Twitter. That's bug lovers only. Yeah. And I'm Vivi Victoria on tumblr i've got a twitter but trust me you don't want to see it (laughs) um there's nothing like problematic it's just like all i do is like furry art all day so go to my go to my tumblr yeah and that's it like next time we're probably gonna be doing something else because maybe it's gonna be more focused than what we did here uh we kind of had to shut up about certain things and stop talking about certain games when we had to because (laughs) 
we have Kono forever. But next time, I hope that'll be that'll be something that we we get better at over time. I yeah. Think. Well, Mary, as we always say at the end of our podcasts, please sign us off with the thing that we say every time at the end of our podcasts that we do. Um, I don't know if we're gonna have something like that. Um. Nope, just go ahead and say it right now. The thing that you know that we do all, every time. Now you now you can be trying to come up with something. Um. And fuck Elden Ring! <laughs> <laughs>